This is Beck Lover on another edition of Beck Lover and the Comeback Team. I got a good friend of mine here, Mr. Miguel Martinez, a.k.a. Mr. Smooth. He's not looking so, you're looking smooth, <laughs> but you're not looking as, as uh, clean-shaven as the last time I saw you. Right, I'm not clean-shaven. I went and broke down and, and grew a, a, a pandemic beard. And, you know, I got reasons to do it because I'm going to... I'm gonna start doing some live stuff, and when I take it off, I want to make it uh, an event because, you know, my customer base, uh, principally, you know, we serve uh, men with wavy and curly hair, or you know, men of color, and they have issues with, um, you know, razor bumps and things of that nature. So, I'll periodically, I'll grow a beard and I'll sh shave it off to show the proper way, and then while I grow a beard, I do some things to show proper beard care. Mr. Smooth, before we kind of jump the gun. To those that yeah. are watching, Mr. Smooth is on my show because he has an interesting life. We live in these very volatile times. There's a lot of racial tension. It's part of the reason he's on the show. That's also because he's a successful entrepreneur and he has an amazing brand uh, of men's products, which we're going to get into. And uh, that's why I have you on the show today, to those that are listening and watching. First of all, I want to thank you for giving me time right now. This is a very hectic time. Without a doubt, and and, th and thank you for having me. And we spoke about this. You know, we met at the Cigar Lounge. Right. And again, I tell people, you meet the most amazing people in Cigar Lounges. <laughs> yeah, you do. Unfortunately, I feel like it's, you know, much more male-dominated. I wish I, there are a lot of female cigar smokers, but not that many, man, compared to how many men smoke cigars. I, I wish the women would pick it up a little bit more. Yeah, and, and they are. It's actually growing, and from my getting around the different cigar lounges, not only here, but around the country, uh, I'm surprised at the amount of women that do frequent the cigar room. Absolutely. Uh, Harlem Cigar also, uh, every time I go in there, uh, there are, you know, at least 20% of the patrons there are women as well. So the women are picking up. Now, granted, I haven't been at any cigar lounge since before the pandemic since the pandemic started but but yeah you're right you meet you meet the most interesting people like i met you and quite frankly you know it's generally a place where quality people hang out mr smooth when i and the reason you know you got that name i mean you're going to tell us what's the what's the what's the reason for the name but <laughs> when i met you and what i was trying to imply earlier was you were very, oh every time i've seen you i mean clean shaven like smooth is that part of the reason for the name or well, yeah, it is, uh, because, you know, it, it's just kind of like grooming and being very well kept is just part of my makeup. I mean, I was raised that way. So even so much so that my mother would actually be at the door inspecting us. Like She taught us how to iron our clothes when we were like nine years old. So not being properly groomed uh, was just unacceptable to her. But as, as far as the name and the brand is concerned, is that it really boiled down to people's experience. So when I was uh, looking for a name to brand it, and I was just pulling my hair out, uh, quite frankly, you know, advisor and my mother-in-law and my wife, it was just, this is smooth, because when people experienced it, like Spanish people would be like, ay, que suave, you know, which is smooth, but with the emphasis on suave, and, you know, the African-American brothers will go like, yo, man, yo, like, you smooth. Yo, like, that's smooth. So guys were going, 
yo, man, my face is so smooth, you know, or or in Spanish, they were saying the same, you know, que la cara está tan suave. And so I was Suavamente, like, wow. exactly. exactly. So we added the extra <laughs> O for emphasis, you know, so it's so smooth that we had to add an extra O. We're going to get into your product line. I want to do that in a little bit. I want to, I want to kind of build the roadmap on how you got to, to owning this amazing business. You're in Whole Foods, okay? Yeah, Whole Foods. And you're Foods. in a lot of – yeah, and what other stores are you in? Yeah, well, we're, we're selling online at Macy's, Macy's.com. That's smooth. Uh, and, you know, we're at a few barber supply stores uh, in New Jersey, Las Vegas. Uh, you know, and we're on the short list for – I won't name the name, but another major retailer. You got some things in the work. You got some things in the work. Yeah, work-up. right. And Listen. on our and on our website, clearly. Hey, being in Whole Foods is no small accomplishment, man. Uh, you know, it took a while uh, to get. The biggest thing about being in Whole Foods was, you know, being a new and young brand. Um, you know, you could spend a lot of money getting clinical trials, or you know, spending that money and getting doing uh, testing with individuals, but getting Whole Foods has the highest and strictest body care standards in the industry. So having our products vetted uh, and getting into Whole Foods, you have to have your products vetted. So it just, it, it speaks to the, to the product in, in ingredient uh, integrity. And Mr. Smooth, uh, because I guess, I guess we're going to do it backwards today. We're going to do it backwards. I usually start with how you, you know, your life started and how you got to your business. Let's do it backwards today. Let's try something different because everything seems to be backwards anyway, right? <laughs> so we're talking about we're talking about your products, but people don't know what we're talking about. I know who you are, so so explain to me what your company is, what your products are, and what came to mind, why you started your company. Okay, well, uh, our brand is called That Smooth with three O's. That's smooth, as we were discussing a little, you know, joking about. Uh, earlier. In a nutshell, uh, for decades, me with, you know, the texture hair that I have, uh, you know, which is wavy to curl. Now with the pandemic, depending on the length, starts getting curlier. But the point is, is that there was a lack uh, of grooming products uh, for men like me. And me, again, with the smooth, uh, was always a professional, always very well dressed. Um, and quite frankly, being a man of color, uh, I was raised that 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 my appearance could never be questioned. So being well groomed was just again always uh, uh, a top priority. So I couldn't find uh, certainly prestige or luxury products that worked for me. I was always uh, having to buy products and then add other things to them uh, in order to keep myself from being irritated. Uh, keep myself from getting razor bumps in certain areas. And I, I don't have the traditional problem where, where I bump up everywhere, but in certain spots I could clearly bump up. And then also, as the years went on, I started to notice the condition of my skin uh, just deteriorating. And so I just got kind of pissed off. And I was like, you know what, like the general market or – these manufacturers, like they are, you know, like just men of color alone uh, comprise 30%, uh, you know, of the revenue of the industry. And yet there's virtually no product on the shelf for us. And when you do look for it, it's, it's lower quality 
it's in a little section in and of itself, maybe even on the, 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 the bottom two shelves of that section. So I was offended, quite frankly, as a man of color. And I'm like, you know, I mean, you know, you guys are, you know. So I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a man of color, but I've always used like Murray's Waves pomade. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe I wasn't supposed to use that, but for some reason I've always used them. I've always gravitated towards those African-American products. Yeah. Well, I guess well, for that demographic. But um, I've noticed it's always like a little area. It's like, you know, like you said, it's a lot of times on the bottom shelf. Yeah, like you really, like you really, really have to search for them, and uh, <laughs> you know, and 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 then with me shopping where I shop, you know, Bloomingdale's and you know Barney's and those stores, like nothing. there was Nordstrom, like nothing, and so you know, I just woke up and said, listen, like, don't complain about it, you know, like here's an opportunity. So I did further research and I realized that there, you know, millions of us uh, here in in the U.S. alone the largest population of people who looks anywhere like me in this hemisphere is in Brazil, you know, second the U S third Canada, you follow what I'm saying, then followed yeah. by the Caribbean and, and then Europe. So I just, after doing that research, I said, you know what? Uh, you know, and my wife really encouraged me um, uh, because as I was creating the product, I really created for myself just to solve my issues. One of my sons who's experiencing a lot of razor bumps. So I really created it for me and him. But as I was testing it and developing it, everybody that was using it, they first they noticed that my skin, that the condition and appearance of my skin was, was greatly improved. And so they started asking about it. And then a number of people wanted me to make it for them. And my wife said, listen, uh, you know, if there's 10 guys that want it, you know, there's 10,000, there's 10,000, there's a million. So I, I think you have, a, a, you know, a, a business here. And so, right. And so then after doing further research, I realized just uh, how big the market <laughs> is, how big the market is. And, uh, and so now what's I, your just, website? I went at it. It's thatsmooth.com. So it's spelled T-H-A-T double s m triple o t h that's smooth.com and if you make a mistake and leave out one of the s's or the o's you'll still get to us still so it's up on google right right so it's that smooth.com so uh, in a nutshell if i can re recap you you you're basically noticing from your own life experience it was very hard to find high-end products it was people. impossible it was impossible to find high-end products for products for you know for that that worked you know good for, for african-american men for latino men and then right. any any man even if you're not even if and you're not you, of that race it's still i i, I would use your product right I mean, yeah well it's all about the hair texture so if you have see he, this is how it works the general market they came out typically for a caucasian man with straight hair okay so then there's a problem if you even a caucasian man with 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 more textured hair and like yourself Caucasian men, but, you know, like I was in Whole Foods and, and, and I had, uh, you know, talking to, to men from uh, originally from Russia and they had very curly hair and they started buying my product because, you know, nothing else that they had on the shelf held up for them. So uh, 
when you make products that work for thicker, more textured hair, it's going to work even better for men Just with watch straight that collar. hair. Watch that collar, Mr. Martinez. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. So it's going, to work, it's going to work even better for men with straighter hair. However, there's, uh, there's plenty of product on the market for men with straight hair where there was a lack of is products that high quality, uh, you know, all natural uh, grooming solutions for men with textured hair. And we went a step further in that our products are, number one, they're multitasking. So if I'm just dealing with the shave regimen, it just means that, that if you use just our three or four core products, you basically, uh, it does the job of seven to eight products that men are using right now to derive the same benefits. So when you shave with my products, for example, the shaving cream is also like a mini mask because it's infused with, it's made with dead sea mud. So literally it's like you're giving yourself a facial. So the, the goal was to not only uh, just give something that was the, the, you, just a regular utility of shaving, but to actually do something which for me was I needed to improve the appearance and quality of my skin and keep it, you know, uh, as youthful as, as possible. So, so we uniquely, you know, created the Swedish products, you know, to, to take it a step up, uh, to be like, well, you know, like you only have so much shelf space on your counter. And in the New York area, you know, that gets very tight. And so the point is, less products that do more of the highest quality possible. Uh, because one of the other issues is that I'm a firm believer that uh, a lot of, for example, like my mother developed colon cancer, my father even developed prostate cancer, although he beat it. But the point is, is that cancer was like unheard of. So like when I started doing a lot of research, and I'm looking at guys that I grew up with and all these guys with diabetes and cancer and all these chronic illnesses. Uh, just my research just led me to believe that clearly, so what's the cause? Clearly there are things we can't control, like the atmosphere, right? And the Environmental Protection Agency is supposed to look out for us there. But, but for the most part, most of it we can't control. What we put in our mouth and what we put in our body. What we put on our body uh, within a couple of hours, it's in the bloodstream. And so there's this thing called acute poisoning. So if you continue to do stuff over decades, then your body actually, you know, you don't notice it right away. But over decades, your body starts to develop, you know, chronic uh, sicknesses, which you can't take it back. So right now, what do they do? They give you medicine, they give you surgery. Uh, but the fact is, is that, you know, this is something, a habit pattern that you develop decades ago or products that you were using decades ago, you know, that started to kill you. Like I, I read a study uh, for the New York City Housing Authority on their janitors and they found uh, that they had stopped them from using a lot of chemicals and solvents because they found that even though those men could retire earlier, like at 55 or something like that, um, that they were living on average about three years into retirement. And the only thing they could peg it to were the chemicals and the exposure to chemicals uh, and ingredients that they've been exposed to, you know, for the decades, you know, that they were on the job. Uh, and so I just kind of tied it together. And I just said, you know what, I, I need to make sure that what I put on my body is healthy for my body. And it's not going to, to break it down or irritate my skin. And it's not going to compromise my manhood, 
because that's another issue with parabens and things like that. It affects our manhood. A lot of guys don't know it. Uh, so explain that. I mean, and let me say, let me say something to you. I really started getting into this. This became very important for me through my own personal experience. I mm-hmm. think I mentioned to you uh, when yeah. we were smoking a cigar that I found out, and it took me years to pinpoint it because all the doctors I went to were, no offense, they were fucking morons, okay? Because they didn't run tests the right way. I eventually went to an amazing doctor, uh, Miss Idria in Englewood, New Jersey. She's amazing. I forgot what her background is, uh, but she was a phenomenal doctor. And she pinpointed that I'm allergic to propylene glycol. Right. Not only am I allergic to it, it is extremely toxic for me. And I'm not alone. And 99% of the products that are out there have some form of propylene glycol. And not only do they have some form of propylene glycol, the way they label it on the back of their labels is so confusing that you think you're buying a product that doesn't have it, but then they, it does. It's like PG this right. or PPG this or... And, and, and this is where I start realizing that the FDA is doing a horrible job when it comes to people that have allergies. They're putting our lives at risk because exactly. they should be a uniform. If it's propylene glycol, it should say propylene glycol. Or it should be an acronym that everyone knows universally. It shouldn't be 100 different variations. It's, it's, this is disturbing to me. And we had this argument, me and you. We, spoke, we weren't arguing. We agreed. And this is kind of where you know, we started our conversation and our friendship. So absolutely. So what I want to clarify for my audience is that you avoid pretty much all these types of chemicals. Right? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, right. We avoid parabens. That's why you're in Whole Foods. You know, right. We avoid parabens, propylene glycol, uh, phthalates, and I'll get into that. Now, what does a paraben uh, do? You know, sulfates and artificial fragrances. So what parabens do, paraben actually raises the estrogen level in the body for both men and women. Now, so ultimately, over a lot of use, men get too much parabens in their body. Well, think about it. We're, we're, principally, we're, t- we're principally testosterone. So it not only leads to male breasts, breast. but it also, it, also it, 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 it reduces your, your, your male testosterone hormones. Your estrogen uh, elevates. So what do you think that does, you know, I mean, uh, erectile dysfunction? Um, I'm not an expert on parabens because I don't know if I'm allergic to them, but propylene glycol, they put it in food, man. It's in salad dressing. It's in freaking ice cream. And it's something that they use to make antifreeze. And people are putting this on their skin, their head. They're ingesting it. And it's crazy. I couldn't believe it. And again, this is through my own experience. Right. And and again, a lot of the top brands, if you, you know, and that's my argument, even with a lot of major retailers. And I'm like, you're here because you know, because like uh, this product is under the L'Oreal umbrella or the Procter & Gamble umbrella. These you know, big ass or, names. Or, right, or the Cody umbrella. So, you know, so yeah, they've done the brand marketing and everything else and they're driving customers to the store. But the fact is, when you look at the ingredients, mine needs to be up here because, you know, people need a luxury, a true, all natural alternative. So again, and, and I mentioned parabens and they... It's like sugar. You know, you have sugar, and if you keep looking down, then it's got sucralose and sucrate, and it's got all these different names. And before you get down the list, you know, it's loaded with sugar, which is causing all this diabetes, you know, leading to our our obesity, uh, how they load up salt as well. But definitely with sugars, you can look on a label and you can see 
uh, you could see four or five different names of of of, of sugar. Um, it's uh, it's you ridiculous. Know, it's you know, absolutely there needs to right. be a uniform list. Period. Yeah, and I mean it's out there now, but now you know there's a movement and people want to. But again, these are ways that can hide it. So, like in the case of artificial fragrances, so you know we use essential oils in ours, uh, but artificial fragrances. If, if let's say, well, you just see the term parfum or fragrance. So legally, I can put up to 300 chemicals in there. And, and to a lot of people, the artificial fragrances, uh, you know, they actually will begin to have a, a bad effect, you know, on the skin. And so, yeah, I mean, if, you know, if you wear a parfum or, you know, uh, a weeded toilet or something like that, your cologne, you know, you're putting very little on. Okay, but now you're thinking about, you know, you're shaving your face or you have a body lotion on. You know, now, like, you're putting this, like, all over the place. And so, again, this is where, you know, you start getting the, the uh, acute poisoning. And thank God that, you know, you weren't using uh, a body lotion. And probably, as well, you probably were using body lotions for a while that had propylene glycol in them. And it just... I suffered for a very long right. time. Right, I and have scars. I have scars all over my head because for years the doctors were misdiagnosing me, and they didn't just do a simple allergy test. So I would get boils, and they would explode with blood, and my whole head, my whole scalp, is permanently scarred for life because of this. Right, this is a and, fact. And, right, and I'm sorry to hear that. I'm I'm glad that you're you're past it. And another thing is are the are the phthalates, which is P H T H A L A T E S. A lot of people don't recognize that that's used principally in making tubes, right? But it's put in a lot of products uh, as well. And um, I'll give you the, 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 the case that really blew my mind. And when I found this research out, um, you know, I was like, it, it really opened me up going back into our manhood, right? Erectile dysfunction and things like that. Uh, and listen, men don't like to talk about it, but statistically, you know, uh, they say there's a large percentage of men over 40 who start to experience it. But men, you know, we're all ego-driven. We're not going to sit in a group of men and start talking about that, right? But it, it is and my reality. dinky's not working. My dinky's okay. not working. And, and my, <laughs> and right, right, exactly. And, and so I've heard from a lot of women, uh, 40 and above, that I've surveyed, and a surprising large number uh, – I'm so shocked at the number of marriages that have broken because the, the, the man no longer, his, his, his sexuality is gone. He's got erectile dysfunction. and the His real libido's sex, done. His libido's done. He's fighting diabetes and stuff, and he's still eating and treating his body the same way as he was when he was 30 years old. And it's like, it's too late for that. Like, he won't change. And, and, and so as a result, you know, the, the, you know, I see marriages uh, literally, you know, breaking up over it. So now going back to the phthalates, uh, the phthalates, uh, there was a study done which uh, was on, on chickens. So there, there were women who were pregnant with male fetuses, and these women were eating uh, large amounts of chicken, okay, which is the reason why when I eat chicken, it's, 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 uh, it's grass-fed, uh, 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 I'm sorry, it's not grass-fed, uh, but they're free-range chickens, okay, just uh, that, are, that are grown that way 
versus the traditional way. So, and, and this was going on all around. But the point is, is that these women who were eating large amounts of chicken, who uh, had male fetuses in them, that naturally what was happening was that the chickens, if you look inside those chicken coops, how they drink is they're sucking it from a tube. So they were getting, the chicken were ingesting large amounts of phthalates. It's in their bodies. You buy that chicken. You start eating those chickens. You are getting, putting phthalates in your system. So it found that a, a, a significant percentage of the boys were being born genitally undeveloped, genitally undeveloped, and then, and then uh, were also showing a propensity for girl toys versus boy toys. Now, we're in this age of gender neutrality, whatever, but the point is, is that there's a reason why, you know, I'm heterosexual. There's a reason why, you know, I always gravitated toward more male-dominated stuff because I'm, I'm, because my chemicals are that way. And so, you know, so there are a lot of young boys that have been born, uh, you know, with, uh, that way and with no fault of their own. Their mother was ignorant of it, and I'm not judging them. All I'm saying is that they were born that way because the phalates that the mother ingested while they were in the womb, led to them being genitally undeveloped. Uh, so what that says to me is that if I'm putting phthalates on my body and getting it in my system, that over time, that that plus parabens, you know, I'm fighting an uphill battle at a time when, when you get older, your body, uh, the amount of human growth hormone uh, and testosterone in your system begins to reduce naturally. So you have to find other ways through the diet as well as exercise to be able to raise those levels up where you can remain virile. But now if I'm, even if I'm doing that, but I'm still constantly putting stuff on my body that is shooting phalanx and parabens in it, then I'm, I'm taking away the benefits of the other stuff. So I just wanted to make sure that I made a product that I knew that I could use and felt safe to use and my kids and my family and friends for the rest of their life. And that was my motivation. Those were the, my two biggest motivations uh, or motivators uh, for creating the, the suite of products. And Mr. Smooth, in your, in your collection, you got an aftershave, you got a shaving foam. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly what we have. Number one, we have a complete, uh, we have two complete grooming kits, well, three, uh, but one will, it's a shaving system that's literally soup to nuts. Uh, you know, it's a complete system to where, you know, it, it, it contains a, a razor that's built to last a lifetime, chrome-plated, solid brass, uh, a synthetic silver tip uh, badger uh, shaving brush, which is used to lift the, lift the hairs off the, off the skin, uh, which prevents razor bumps, by the way. Um, and then also... So this brush is made from badger? No, it's synthetic. Oh. And the beautiful thing, so when you, when you have natural brushes, usually you got to get a smell out of them. So because you, you know, you got badger smell on them. But also, the, the synthetic brushes are more hygienic. They dry faster. They hold as much lather. And they actually last longer. 
Uh, so, and they cost a lot less. So it just made sense, you know, for, for us to do it. And it appeals as well to people who are vegan. Uh, so, so you, you, you don't have to, you don't have to badger the vegans. There you go. So, so, so it's a brush, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged single blade razor. And the reason why is because you're starting to see this movement uh, grow amongst uh, men of all hair types because they're realizing that these multi-blade cartridges are just too much. They actually age the skin because they take off layers, uh, you know, of your skin and people don't realize that. And the first thing that your skin starts to lose is moisture. So the more of it you're scraping off, the more moisture you're losing and eventually it's going to age the skin. And the single blade razor will allow you to shave super close, but will never overcut the hair. So if you have wavier curly hair, your hair has to grow out before it does its natural, you know, texture curl or, or, or wave. Uh, so, uh, and obviously there's uh, a three-in-one aftershave balm and, and our, our shave cream and our uh, pre-shave oil. Uh, for men like myself who have sensitive skin, uh, who need a coating on the skin uh, in order to prevent uh, irritation. You think you'll also expand uh, those products maybe to some shampoos or anything like that? Or? Well, yeah, yeah. We are looking to build out a complete, you know, body care line. We also have an, yeah, well, we also have an exfoliating beard and facial wash, a beard oil that's specially formulated for wavy and curly textured hair. And the reason why that's important because, and especially when guys start to grow their beards, one of my sons, he was dealing with beard dandruff. You know, uh, at a certain time of the day, his beard got very, very scraggly because the more textured your hair is, uh, the more, uh, the harder it is for your hair to retain oils and moisture. So I created it so that men with that texture would be able to lock in uh, the necessary moisture and washing their beards. Their beards would not be overstripped because just the traditional beard washes uh, particularly with men with textured hair, uh, it overstrips the, the, the beard hair of its oils, and then the beard gets very scraggly, and it's not going to look good that day. You literally got to wait a few days for your natural oils to come in. So we've, we've created, a uh, which is also a pre-shave because it exfoliates, it's made with dead seamlet, a lot of great things. And so it is designed to improve uh, the condition quality of your skin, prep you for a shave if you shave, if you have a beard, uh, it's going to effectively clean your beard without overstripping it. It's going to actually replace the natural oils that you are to lose. And our beard oil is designed, it's a conditioning beard oil, which keeps, uh, definitely prevents uh, any flaking or beard dandruff, as it's called now. Uh, it provides brilliant sheen and provides hydration and promotes beard growth. So, um, you know, so that's, that's the... Uh, the complete line. So that's now you're saying Dead Sea mud, right? Yeah, Dead Sea mud from the Dead, Dead sea. sea is a very interesting place, man. I mean, from from the Abrahamic faiths, right? From Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam. Uh, you know, that's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that supposedly God destroyed that civilization, and that's where all that salt's coming from. Is there? There. That's why the name is called the Dead Sea. That's the geographic location that they believe that they once existed, that, that civilization. 
I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I, I, I did know that. And, but, but it's the most densely populated with salt, right? I mean, on, on Earth. That's it, the most it's, it's, and it's, it's, it's tremendous, you know, uh, on the skin. As you know, people spend a lot of money just to go and bathe in it. So what we found is that you take me, for example, Afro-Latino, and if you break me down racially, I mean, obviously I'm of African descent, but I also have indigenous blood. I'm even an eighth to a 16th uh, Asian. I have a great grandfather that was Chinese. And obviously, you know, I've got some European blood in me. So what that does is that it creates different skin combinations. So, so I have, you know, combinations. Right. Okay, right. So I have combination skin as a result that's also sensitive. So what I found is that, so, you know, uh, what I wanted to do was that how do I get men with different skin types? dry, oily, uh, and combination skin, uh, you know, how do I help them all at the same time? So Dead Sea Mud, uh, uh, it literally goes in and deep cleans. It removes impurities. The second thing it does is that regardless of your skin type, it rebalances the skin's pH, so it resets it. It also gently exfoliates the skin, okay, allowing for new cell growth keeps the skin youthful, and that way it's anti-aging, and it's so nutrient-rich that it keeps the pores nice and tight. So it's, it's anti-aging, uh, uh, you know, in that way as well. And so it's a super ingredient. So we put it in our shave cream uh, as well as our exfoliating beard and facial wash because it's going to, you know, provide all those benefits. So that one ingredient alone, uh, if you look at a lot of products, that are on the market, particularly shave creams, like we have like nine ingredients in it, including essential oils and a natural preservative. So, you know, the, uh, you know, when you look at a lot and they're like, a lot of people think, wow, like there's 18 ingredients in here. Wow. But, you know, like we just wanted to do less with more and dead sea mud. Uh, and it's more expensive. And that's the other reason why, because, you know, I could put 18 you know, lower quality ingredients, things that come out of labs, which are cheaper to continue to, to remanufacture, uh, you know, versus putting in uh, things like that. So we've got oils like argon oil, baobab oil, which, 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 uh, which actually builds the skin collagen. Uh, in our aftershave, we have, um, it, it protects against harmful UV rays. It, it, it actually calms the skin, soothes the skin, and then it also has an agent in there called safflower oleosomes, which is nature's moisture delivery system that basically hydrates the skin like it does flowers, okay, uh, uh, on a continual basis. It just continues to release hydration. So, you know, these things are not cheap. They're high quality, but they really, really do the job. And again, with me being, so going back to smooth, with me being a man who's always, you know, who always bought from high-end stores and always used premium products, um, you know, quite frankly, I, I needed and wanted to build a product that I can be proud of and that reflected, where, where you know, my product, level of... Where is your product manufactured? Uh, well, some of it, are our base products that I just mentioned, uh, our razor and our brush is manufactured in India uh, using uh, the most... Uh, up-to-date manufacturing processes that are around. 
uh, my razor blades actually manufactured. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention, we do have super platinum co coated uh, double-edged razor blades as well. They're manufactured in China. The rest are manufactured here in New York State. All right. So mixture. Basically, I mean, it's a global economy, so everything's made everywhere. Yeah, in that regard, and our goal clearly is to is to is to develop a complete body care line for men, and then on the shaving end, I'm finding out that our women have the same issues that we do because it still boils down to the hair texture. So a guy with the same hair texture that would have him like have to fight razor bumps or prevent them, a woman with the same hair texture has the same issues. She just shaves different areas, right? We're shaving our yes, face, sir. they're shaving their legs, they're shaving their pub areas, you know, come bikini time or what have you, and their underarms and, you know, and so we're That's just shaving different, here. right, so <laughs> we're just shaving different areas, you know, but. Like we're going to act like we're in kindergarten right now. I'm going to act okay. like I'm in kindergarten. That's okay. I'm good Mr. with Smooth, it. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. So I, I got a really good idea of what you do, what your company's about. Okay, you're in one of the most recognizable organic, you know, whole foods, you know, supermarket. I mean, you don't just get in there. You know what I mean? Right. But let's go back now. Let's get in the time machine. Let's go back to the beginning of your life. You know, speaking of skin, speaking of skin color, in the time that we're in right now, the George Floyd protests have been going on. The Black Lives Matter have been going on. The riots and the looting have been going on. But before we get into that, you know, and I'm glad that you're on this show during this time as someone of color. I want to go backwards and kind of talk about your life and your experiences in, in the United States of America. And I want my viewers to maybe put their, put your shoes on for a couple of moments in time. And let's try to see life through your eyes and what you've seen. Okay. So where does life start for, for Mr. Martinez, a.k.a. Okay, right. Well, life started with me in Harlem. And, uh, you know, in a nutshell, and my family, my you were parents... Born yeah, I was born there. And okay. when my parents, uh, my father was actually born in Tampa, Florida. And, and because of color was the main reason why my grandmother had to leave. So I'll give you a couple of family stories there. My family had to leave where? Had to leave Tampa? Or had to well, leave? they didn't have to leave, but oh. they, they, they chose to leave. And, and even instead of going, well, they went to Cuba and they wound up leaving Cuba and then coming up to New York. And it's now, what all racial. Were you born? And it's, and it's all. Were you born well, I was born 1959, so I'm giving up my age. So, but now, if we go back into this right now, uh, as a little boy, you know, in the 60s, I was I was aware of what was going on. I was much too young to participate, but I was very mentally aware. I mean, I was I was, you know, I, I was aware of when, quite frankly, when Martin Luther King got shot we were all called into the auditorium and a, a memorial was held for him and his speeches were played over the loudspeaker, but it was a, a very serious time. My parents were also, were always very, uh, just had a lot of racial pride. On my mother's side of the family, you know, Afro-Puerto Ricans, my grandfather, uh, we I'll put it to you this way. My ancestors started public education in Puerto Rico. My ancestor, Rafael Cordero, is the only Puerto Rican that has ever been nominated for sainthood in the Roman Catholic faith. And what he did was he was talking wow. about, the, he would talk about cigars, right? He was a tabaquero, and he used basically his cigar earnings 
to create a free school. You know, back in the 1800s, the 19th century, if you didn't have money, you couldn't buy an education. Well, you couldn't be educated. So there's statues and schools named after him, both here in the mainland as well as in, in Puerto Rico. And say so, his name one more time, please, because I'm going to try to look it up. And yeah, it's Rafael Cordero, C-O-R-D-E-R-O. Rafael Cordero. Uh, type in public schools in Puerto Rico, it should pop up something on Wikipedia. Or huh? if you just do Rafael Cordero, boom, you're going to get it. And this you know, guy was like your great-grandfather or something? Or no, he what? was like a man, 1800s, man, 19th century. Uh, my, my mother's mother is a Cordero. Okay. Uh, your blood, I have, your a, blood I have a, a cousin who's a three-time Kentucky Derby winner. And if I get into his story, he was like the Jackie Robinson of thoroughbred racing uh, in the modern era. I mean, they would try to kill him. They would try to knock him off horses, maim him, do all kind of stuff. But... And and he, right, so he slow down for a moment. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah, yeah. So let me understand your so, background now. Your, right, your, your so, mother is of what descent? What's your mother? All right, all right. So my mother's Afro Boricua, Puerto Rican, and my father's Afro Cubano, and I'm labeling it that way because when I was little, I remember saying to my father, "Yeah, like we're you know, you know he I, you know I said, geez, I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban, so I guess that makes me what?" So he said, "Well, you that, that makes you Latino because you." You got, even though the cultures are super close, it's what you are. But he said, no, you know, I'm going one step further. You're Afro-Latino, and I really want you to understand what that means. He said, because the reason why we didn't live in Cuba is because the only difference between Cuba and Mississippi was the language. It was the same thing. Okay, and quite frankly, Cuba was the You're style. talking about now racial tension? Talking about, uh, I'm talking about racial pride and just knowing who we were. Yeah, racial tensions, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, Cuba was a, a very racist place. Uh, and, and so, and my mother, uh, you know, her family, she was, she always instilled in us, be very proud. Like you're from a prominent family. So she made it very clear to us, you know, that we were not inferior to anybody. Now, we're not to carry ourselves in a way that we, feel that we're above anybody either but she put it in me at five years old you know that already when I started to see these things going on five six seven I'm asking questions and so she was explaining it to me the best way she could and I just didn't understand why you know why you know white society or the or the system uh was mistreating people of color I mean, it, it baffled me because I'm in an elementary school in an area that was still kind of mixed. So, but I wasn't even, when I just got into elementary school, you know, and even in the area, I saw white kids, like, we didn't think about race. It was like, do you want to play ball? You not want to play ball? You want to run and catch? you like, whatever you want. Like, we're just kids, right? We're just playing. And then I'm starting to see all this stuff and I'm going, wow, like, what's going on? So my, you know, so my parents were breaking it down to me. And, and, and so in a nutshell, what my mother instilled in me is that, is that because of my complexion and my color that I couldn't just pass the test, that I would have to excel. And she told me, listen, because you're a Latino and your first language is Spanish and because of your hair, the way you look, you're going to catch some flack even from African-Americans, you know, because they don't understand you. And you're going to catch flack, flack from white society just because of the color of your skin. So you just have to be three times as tough. 
And you got to make sure that you're not only always impeccably groomed, but that you study hard, that you're intelligent. So this yeah, is something uh, that I mean, from a, from a, from what I'm hearing here, from a very young age, race was already playing a role in your life. Oh, absolutely. Because again, for these questions that I'm asking and not understanding, and now I'm starting to see the injustice. I'm starting to see the hoses. I'm starting to see the, the, the dogs being unleashed. I'm seeing news reports of, of black churches being bombed. Uh, you know, and then even, you know, in Spanish Harlem, I'm, I'm seeing cops roll through. I'm also seeing the amount of drug abuse and, and plight that was, that was hitting our communities. And I had questions at a very young age, and my mother wouldn't shy from them. Or my father, they would sit down and we would talk about them. So I became very aware, you know, very young. And quite frankly, it made me very, very angry. It did make me angry. And as a result, uh, you know, would I let it out now? You know, uh, I had, you know, white friends and, you know, African-American friends, obviously Latino friends. We were in that neighborhood. But still with that injustice is something. And, and I'm just going to I'm going to go to where we are right now and then kind of come and and. And, and then I'm coming right back to this. But what's going on right now, again, what it boiled down to is I've had this anger and this feeling of social injustice and racial injustice from when I was a child, and it's generational. So my father's family, so my mother said, which just lost you there okay. for a second. Okay. I'm sorry, I, so, I so, right. So my mother said, like when they were coming from Puerto Rico, they took a plane down to Florida, and then she noticed that she didn't notice at first. She just figured, well, you know, they're at the back of the train. Like, that's where their seats are. But she noticed, like, it was all people of color. But again, in Santulce, Santulce is, is, is a principally, uh, you know, uh, uh, area of, of, of African descent, right, in her part of the island. So she didn't think anything of it. But then she noticed that there was a period to where people were allowed to move around. And then she realized after the fact, she said that once they crossed the Mason-Dixon line or once they hit Washington, D.C., then people of color were able to move freely up and down the train to go buy food, what have you. And so that was her first, you know, notice of it. My father and his family, they came to Ybor City in Tampa, which is a tourist spot right now. But Ybor City at the time is where the Cubans came. There were African-Americans and Italians there, you know, principally. Uh, so a uh, story, real story, my, my, my grandmother is darker. My grandfather could pass for white, even though he wasn't, your complexion. And one time, uh, but my grandfather was a tobacco buyer. And so when he went to buy for other major manufacturers, he would, he got their cost, so he would buy for himself. And quite frankly, fortunately, uh, the, the Italian mob, you know, the Italians and the Cubans live side by side. So basically... In Florida. Right, in Tampa. So they were buying their cigars from my grandfather. My grandmother told me he would come home from the, the corporate work and he would, you know, start rolling cigars, banding them up, and guys would come to the house and he would be you know, selling the cigars. He's a hustler, right. baby. Right. So make a long story short, one day uh, they just decided to take the bus. And uh, when my grandmother and my father and my uncles go in, uh, the bus driver says, well, you and your light one could sit here 
but your niggas have to sit in the back. Well, as you know, there's a bar, you know, when you take the bus, the bus driver usually sits and there's this bar that, yeah. you know, that crosses them. Well, my grandfather grabbed this guy and pulling him out, he broke both of his legs and continued to beat his ass. Naturally, he gets arrested. So the mafia don went to bail him out. The mob. And they said, right. And they said, well, you know, why, you why? Know which, do you know which family or not? No. I mean, you don't know which family. I, was, I, one I, the, was I, it one of the New York families or was it? No, down there, you know. Down or, there, whatever, whatever group was down there at that time. Well, you got to remember, the mob actually wasn't in New York first. It was in New Orleans, and then it went to Florida. Then it got big up here. School uh, them, bro. School these yeah, people. Yeah, so, so, so the point is, is that when they went to bail him out, they asked him, you know, like, why are you bailing him out? And he said, well, first of all, he's a respectable family man and businessman, and you called his family niggas. His children and his wife are not niggas. And that's why I'm bailing them out. And you showed him and his family, you know, disrespect. So now, I'm sorry to touch it. So moving Don't forward, my, my aunt, my aunt, my father's youngest sister as well, she could pass for white. And she was playing. And, and one of the girls in her neighborhood, her father was a cop. And she comes out with a gun taunting the kids you know, ignorantly, and there's a bullet in the chamber, goes off, it shoots my aunt. She's five years old. So You're my aunt, aunt, right. So my aunt, my aunt is rushed to the hospital, the closest hospital. Then when my grandmother arrives, they say, oh no, this is a colored baby. So mm -hmm. they refused to treat her and had to move her to the colored hospital. My aunt bled out, five years old. It impacted, it impacted my she grandparents. Died? She died. She wow. died. Five years old. So uh, after that, when, you know, when... The, when, when so the you world, have an aunt. You, never, you have an aunt that you never met that right. died because of a racial incident. Right. I know where her grave is in Ybor City this, in Tampa. This year, this, this year was in what time? What time was this year? Do you know what time it was around? What decade? Was it the 40s, the 50s? Um... Yeah, it was the f it was the 40s. Yeah, it was the 40s because World War II was already on, and at that time, as you know, they started to change all the factories. So, so now we're back into last 20 years or so. The hand rolled, handmade cigars have come back in vogue. But back then, you know, they started to shift it to to machine made. They were using all the factories because of the Defense Act, remember, to, that the government could convert factories into whatever they needed, you know, to fight the war. I mean, that's what Donald Trump has initiated since the coronavirus. Right. So now... He's got that power right now. At that power. So now, but going into my family's case, so my grandfather, excuse me, managed to accumulate a little money, so he decided that they would try going back to Cuba. And when they went to Cuba, in light of what just happened to their daughter, two of my uncles, you, you know, if you look at them like me even more so, they have, you know, kinky or curly hair. Um, they would clearly look Afro, right? Now, so, they tried to go back to Cuba before no, the well, not, well, Yeah. So my grandfather goes back, and they tell him that my father, who could also pass for white, could go to one school, but my uncles had to go to a different school. 
So this is within Cuba. This is within Cuba. And so this problem has not only existed, which is what people need to understand. Racism has existed in a lot of pockets throughout North America. Oh, hell yeah. It existed throughout all of Europe. There's no doubt about it. Except except for Albania, my brother. Okay. Very proud of Albania. Albania never never had, we never colonized. We were never slave ships. We were always the ones fighting for our own freedom. And we were always the ones that were being oppressed but over the last 2,000 years. We've been, we've been, we never had a chance, even if we were going to be racist, because we were the ones being discriminated against. Right. Which made us a very compassionate people. But um, I'm, proud that my that. People I'm proud that my people doesn't have that blood on their hands. Yeah, and it's, it's bad blood to have, <laughs> man. So, so anyway, that experience brought them back. That's when they decided to, to move to New York. Um, and, you know, in that regard. And then just going back into so my life. So basically racism, racism is the reason you were, uh, basically you were moving place to place to try to find a place that, you weren't going to find a place that wasn't racist. You were just trying to find a place that was the least racist. Yeah, well, well, well my ancestors were clearly. And, and yeah, and that's when they came to New York because again, the, 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 it was more diverse. There was no Jim Crow. You know, even though, even in New York, there were certain neighborhoods that you didn't go in. Uh, you, I don't know if you saw the picture Carlitos Way when he was telling his girlfriend that, that we couldn't go past Fifth Avenue because we had to fight the brothers. And then you could go past Third, we had to fight. He used the term Guineas or Italians, right? I'm not trying to be derogatory here. No, but that that's was the movie. Yeah, the movie. Yeah. But that was a reality. My father told me that story 20 years before that movie came out. My uncles, my father was the youngest. My father was so good with his hands that he was an AAU champ. I mean, he was back then the gangs. You had a designated fighter. My, well, my father was that dude. And so my father told me about a time back, it was over 100 degrees, and the only uh, pool was, was, was across 3rd Avenue. That was all Italian control. And my father and them said, listen, they got whatever cars they could. They put bats or whatever in there. And this day... No more. And after that, they went to battle, and there was no more. And so he's telling me stories on both they wanted, sides. So they wanted. They, so your 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 father wanted to go to the pool. Yeah, it was hot. Everybody wanted to be yeah, in the pool. Yeah. So it was a hot time. He wanted to go to the pool, but the pool was basically controlled by the Italian. It, it, right. It, it, it was in a, and 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 this is where I'm going with racism. See, to me, when I sit back and study history. Okay, even looking at, when you just look at American history, which is where I've been born and raised, okay, when you look at American history, first of all, you know, when, when slaves were emancipated, what did they do to white people? They told them, they put in imagery. See, what people don't realize is that we're more impacted by image than we are words. So even a lot of people will tell their kids, you know, do what I say, not what I do. But it's impossible because even before we can verbally, verbally communicate effectively, by that time, the, during the, the period where our brain is growing the fastest, okay, is the first two years, we're, we're, we're barely putting words together. But we are taking in images all the time, all the time. So what we see is literally impacting our subconscious, you know, and, and, and it will begin to reflect our belief system and what we do. So... So by telling white people uh, that they were uh, superior to blacks, no matter what, and by taking away 
uh, equal protection under the law. Okay, so therefore, blacks became very vulnerable, these strong Jim Crow laws. So as a result, we had no protection. Uh, we couldn't mobilize. Uh, it was against the law for us. So, you know, uh, to, to have firearms in many places. So, you know, if, 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 if you decided to just outright, you know, stab me in the street in certain places, I'm, I'm, you know, you're going to sit in front of, not you personally, but a white guy would sit in front of an all-white jury. And the point is, is that it was exoneration, exoneration, exoneration. And you'll probably, and you'll probably be the one that goes to jail back then. <laughs> so what I'm saying, so just Crazy. jumping back, so popping up to where we are now, it's generational anger. See, this is, this is a, a story that goes over and over and over and over again, and it's repetitive. And, I mean, there are prominent and prosperous you know, African-American communities that were just burnt to the ground. Well, a, a literal community genocide happened, and there was nothing that these people could do other than be burnt down, be, be, be lynched, be shot, and so there was no protection under the law. And this is the history in America. So by constantly putting into the psyche, you know, of Caucasian Americans that black people are inferior, uh, and the classic case in point was one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was a slave owner, but fortunately he was a Quaker. So one of his Quaker friends has started a school, you know, for black children in Philadelphia back in the 17th century, and he, he, he told Benjamin Franklin, you know, that, that, that given the same uh, education, that basically that black, the Africans didn't have any learning disabilities, that we were not inferior mentally, just that we were brought from another country, you know, knowing already another language, having to know another language, and now having to learn the skills and the education system that was here. And so he showed Benjamin Franklin in real life, and that basically made Benjamin Franklin convert from a slave owner to supporting abolitionist movements. So it's the ignorance. And so I always say, excuse me, you know. Yeah, just try, so, not, to rub that, try not to rub that mic because I can hear it. Right, okay. So, so the point is, is that, you know, a, a lot, is gained by them, you know, by ignorance. So if I don't educate you and, and, and then I show you or I, I, I convince you that these people are, 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 are less human than you, okay, then they don't count as much as you. So that's where the whole thing of white privilege comes in that still a lot of Caucasians don't understand. Like they don't understand, like I had to do experiencing several times being racially profiled and pulled over, you know, getting handcuffs put on me. So, getting so, fucking, tell us, I want people getting to understand that. Getting fucking guns, getting guns put like. in my fucking face, you know, no growing up. Yeah, just because I was standing somewhere and the give cops me an example. Roll up. Give, me, okay. give me one example. People need to hear this shit. All right, so the first example, I was like 13, 14 years old and I was at a house party and, you know, there was like a little uh, terrace, like before the elevator, and you could kind of get some air. You know, you're in a party, you got your turtleneck sweater on and all that stuff. So I'm getting a little air. And when, when the elevator comes, you know, they say, yeah, the elevator comes. So I'm walking out to get in the elevator. There's a police officer, and he comes right out and just 
puts a gun literally, literally in the center of my face. Just like that. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know? So fortunately, I turn around and guys just started scattering. So when he went to look this way and went to look that way, I had backed up into the elevator and the elevator door was already closing. You know, that's just one instance. I've had a number. And then there are times even when I, when I started driving to where, you know, I'm just... Mr. I'm Smooth, going, can you hold it like this? Hold it. Yeah, okay. Hold so, it I, yeah, so... Uh, another, away from the show. Okay, so... That's good. There, yeah, so there is... Um, there's a lot of them, but I'm, I'm going to give you just some... I mean, that's some, a young some, age, man. 13 years old, you know, have a gun in your so, face. I don't know right. what. Right, some key points. Uh, Do you remember how a, you felt once once you got out of there? Do you remember how you felt that night? Oh, I was, you know, in one sense, being a kid, I was like, yeah, I just outsmarted this fucking... Here's the deal. By 13 years old, you got to remember uh, that already by 10 years old, I never felt that the police were my fucking friends. I felt that they were, you know, like a Gestapo force there to keep us in place. Not that they were. Now my we're talking friends. about the, the late sixties and the early seventies. We're talking point. the early seventies. So okay. you know, so but but already in the sixties, you know, when I'm ten years old, I don't see the police, you know, as my friend. I see them as as people I had to look out for. That if I wasn't walking on fucking eggshells on a tightrope, that I could be accosted for anything. You know. And, and I would witness it in Harlem. You know, I would witness just guys just being grabbed and thrown up against a, a gate. Did you have any white friends in that time in your life? I mean, honestly. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. In elementary school, as I mentioned, our school was, 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 was integrated. And uh, as well as, um, you know, in, in junior high school. But, and I remember in elementary school, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grades, I had white friends. We would go to, uh, you know, I'd go to their house. I'd be welcome in the houses. Uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't treated, you know, any different. In fact, in, the, uh, in many of those years, my closest friends were white. In fact, who I learned to do my crazy stuff with was, was a group of Irish kids in my area, Harlem. I was closer, I was Amsterdam, closer to Columbia University. So that area, like where George Collin and those guys are from, was predominantly Irish. And, and so, you know, we, we ran together. And, you know, I would do crazy stuff with them. Like, we would, we would crawl up buildings. I mean, literally, because I was small. I would climb up buildings, and we'd open windows. And wouldn't steal, but we'd just trash an apartment, just, you know, getting all that anger out. But one time, I'm literally playing some stoop ball. You know, like when you kind of throw, throw the, the rubber ball against a, a little wall, and everybody catches it. And I was actually having a, a playful discussion you know, Omasali, you know how you're playing around and you raise your voice and everybody's like that. So, so my, my other crew, and this was Danny Kay, who's the leader and a bunch of them, they were coming around the corner. And they heard my voice elevated and they heard the other guy. We were, it was friendly. But Danny Kay, I was one of them. Danny Casey, I'm sorry. I was one of them. And Danny and them just went off on my other white friends. And I had to stop it. Say, yo, Danny, it's not, it's not all that. It's not all that. I was like, no, we were just, it's just over a ball. Like, nothing's going to pop off. But Danny and them, I was so close to them that no matter who was messing with me, I was one of them. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of like. So like, you were getting, you in, were getting in, our, whole, in our neighborhood. 
yeah, you were getting like this whole different, like, I'm getting treated a certain way by authorities. But meanwhile, regular white people, I'm cool with them. I got a good relationship with them. Yeah, and so you're just kids. getting this whole crazy mixed, you get all kinds of mixed signals growing up. Hey, hey, listen, man, the fact that they was these brothers, the Wilson brothers, right? Tremendous basketball players. The oldest one was the first one I noticed with moves, right? And we talk about white men can't jump. I'm like, that's bullshit. You never saw Bumpy uh, Wilson. But the brother Jimmy was my older brother's age. And I remember they were playing the team. Why don't you from just the... take that earpiece out on that side? And just hold uh, the mic here, this one. All right. Yeah, so, so make a long story short, Jimmy was the only white kid on my brothers and them team. And it was an all-star team. And they were, they were going to travel to Miami to play in the International Biddy League, you know, uh, tournament. That's perfect, right? by the way. Don't change it. Okay. Perfect. So Jimmy is going in. He's doing work. You know what I mean? And so the other kids from the other crew were like, like they were looking like they were going to gang up on Jimmy. Like they were mad. You know, their white boy was like going in on him that way. Man, they shouldn't have did that. Because everybody told, yo, Jimmy's one of us, man. Like, like, not touching Jimmy. You know what I mean? So, like, we grew up with that. So my point is, is that uh, I think as kids, you know, unless your parents are just outright racist and they're putting it in you, um, that for the most part, we're just kids. But now as we get older, we're starting to see the differences. We're and starting to see the to think that way. Oh, man, I have, you know, uh, right, exactly. So another instance I remember, and I'm going to not exactly in chronological order, but when I first went to college uh, in Gainesville, Texas, and naturally with everything I had been reading and even some of the stuff I had experienced in New York, I'm in a dry county. Actually, it's the same small school that Dennis Rodman first went to. Uh, and so right after a training camp, which we call boot camp because the coach was an ex-Marine drill sergeant, I told myself, I'm going to treat myself to some champagne, you know, after, you know, I'm solidly on the team. So I get an Iranian guy to drive me uh, across to this town called Red River, Oklahoma. And while I'm there, there's this white guy that's calling me all kind of niggers. You know, we don't serve niggers. Get the fuck out of here, nigger, and all this. Now, my blood is boiling. Just so like I'm that. Look- yeah, so I'm looking at the cat. And I'm like, come here. Like, I can't hear you. Like, come here. I can't hear you. Come closer. Now, my mind was grab this motherfucker's shirt, you know, take him up, uh, you know, up the road a bit and get out and just wail on him. But, you know, my Iranian friend was, he was very afraid. And he just said, I I know what's going to happen. I see what's in your face. Can we just get out of here, please? So I left. So now another night in college, a couple of months later, uh, there, was a, uh, uh, there was this gal that really liked, she wanted the cheerleaders, and she worked at the Jack in the Box, so I could roll through any night and get free food. So guys knew this, so they were like, guys were pretty much lined up, you know, to help me, you know, to give me a ride. So one day I'm going, and this experience is in my mind still. I'm still very angry, and I could feel in my mind that I already knew that I needed to get back to the dorm because this was not a good night. If I experienced anything else even close to it, you know, I was going to go off, uh, period. And I was going to, you know, I would be violent about it. So as we're driving, you know, he had like a, a, you know, a hole in his muffler or something. So as we're driving along, all of a sudden, I noticed him driving a little 
erratic. And then he pulls to a stop. And I look, a car pulls a stop behind us. And so he goes to get out. And I say, yo, what's the matter? He said, those guys are following us. They've been following us. So a white guy gets up and says, hey, get out of the car. So uh, uh, who was it with me? It was this, this guy, Fawad. So Fawad gets out the car, and I look through the rearview mirror, and I'm like, you know, I was in the process of, like, putting ketchup and shit like that on my burger. So when I finish doing that, I come out the car. He's got Fawad, like, leaning down, trying to make him explain, you know, like, what's wrong with his car. So now I had this anger in me already. It was him. There were two other guys in his car. And I got out, and I confronted him. And I said, first of all, Fawad, stand up. And then I told the guy, I said, so the fuck are you following us for? And he was like, yeah, well, there's something wrong with his muffler. I said, so what the fuck is it to you? It's his fucking muffler. What the fuck is it to you? And he started to say some other shit. I said, so are you a fucking mechanic? Well, no, I'm not a mechanic. I said, so, you, are you, so you're not a fucking mechanic. I said, you, you got a new muffler in your fucking trunk that you want to donate? Well, well no. Nah. I said, well, if that's the case, then you and your friends need to get the fuck out of here. And so he's looking. So at that point, I literally go to the car. And I uh, confront each of their friends. I said, do you want anything? They're like, nah. I said, yo, do you want something? He was like, nah. I said, so being that your friends don't want anything and you're not a fucking mechanic that's ready to fix this shit, you better get back in your fucking car and get the fuck out of here. But I knew with the rage in my eyes, with the rage in my eyes, that these guys, you know, he read me loud and clear. He got back in his fucking car, you know, and got on about his business. And so you compound that to uh, the crime that was in the streets, and I'm not going to blame it on the police, but me losing a lot of friends, you know, getting killed, you know, just growing up again, you know, uh, and I'll get into, like, when I ran on when the you, wrong side of the street as well. But, when, you uh, fast forward, when you fast forward now, I mean, do you feel that we've come a long way as a country? I say we've come I'm not somewhere. saying we're perfect. But compared to those days, and listen, I, you know, I was born here. I was born in the 80s. I learned about the civil rights movement and everything that happened here. And, you know, I grew up in the New York area, so it wasn't like, you know, I saw what you might have saw during my time. Well, but it's based it, on your opinion. I mean, do you feel that this country's come a long way? In some ways, it, it has progressed. But in other ways, uh, the, the, the racism... Uh, has become much more insidious. And, but in terms of, I just put it to you this way. Uh, the first time I felt totally comfortable in my skin with all my racial pride was when Obama was elected president. The next day, I went about my business. And when I went to shake business on his hands and stuff like that, and my psyche, see, there was such a difference in my psyche. It was like, Right now, the most powerful office in the world is being held by a man who looks like me with his intelligence and everything else. And a, a black dude doesn't get elected to be president of anything. Going back to what that my mother said, smooth. man, he was, you know, and so <laughs> that means he had to overcome the, 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 all the racial prejudice. He had to overcome color. He had to basically be that everybody, most of, the, of America saw that he was the guy for the time. And his color went behind who he was. Now, 
once he was in office, which is another discussion, obviously, uh, my opinion is that his color became an issue in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, his administration, but he still, you know, did eight years, but I, I don't want to get off on that. The whole point is, is that, is that, um, you felt there was a big turning point is, is, in, is, is, in our is, is, is that th there's been progress from the standpoint of consistent progress. So we've seen it. So under the Clinton era was when they finally ended redlining. So, um, but, you know, these things. Explain the progress, redlining. Okay. So redlining used to be. Neighborhoods. Well, uh, well, redlining was you're white, I'm black. And if, if each of us tried to move into a mixed area that was other than what we look like, okay, that we had twice the opportunity of being declined. And e even so much so. Yeah, basically, and Trump's father, and th th his company was busted for it, you know, clearly. And they tried to, you know, massage it up like they do everything. Yeah, another way but, to simplify. Another way to simplify and, the and even definition is, is basically, could, if me and you are black or me and you are white, and we live in an all-black neighborhood or all-white neighborhood. What we tell all each other is, yo, if you sell your house, don't sell it to anybody of color. Sell it only to another white man and vice versa. So that's well, no, but it, no, it got more insidious than that. The banks. Okay, explain. The, okay. For one, realtors wouldn't show me homes in a white community because I'm black. Okay. That's Secondly, what I'm saying. Like it, it seeped all the way through throughout the entire second, industry. As far as the banks were concerned, I was twice as likely. So if I have a seven, if I have a, if I have a superior, if I have a, a credit score that warrants me living in a more upscale community, right, to get the best mortgage possible, and you as a Caucasian has an inferior credit score, right, that if I try to move in a predominantly white area or an area that wasn't designated as black or of color, it was twice as likely that the banks were not going to loan me the money, period. Which is, why, they, which is why we see the equal opportunity lender logo on banks. Right. And on applications and all and that. When it comes to areas, so when you look at Harlem gentrification and, and all these other black and Latino communities being gentrified, well, what was happening for decades, and I knew this for a fact, because they, they, they wouldn't provide financing for these homeowners to, to, to upgrade their homes. So it, it was like, so they were, so that's, that's why Clinton ended and started really re, uh, enforcing the Community Reinvestment Act. So you're taking deposits of people of color, but you're not loaning their businesses any money. You're not loaning their homeowners any money uh, to improve the properties. So as a result, what you're doing is now you are now devaluing a whole community. You're making that community fall into disrepair because, because they can't even, with jobs, they can't even go to the bank and get money to upgrade their properties. Okay? Or, or and, invest or, or and, buy and, more houses and, and, or whatever. And, and, and I'm going even deeper than that because I saw an economist, a white economist on television explaining about 10 years ago, and he explained how insidious it was, he said, because the vast majority of people, most people's wealth is in a retirement plan or, their, or the equity in their home. 
So the average white family could tap equity in their home in order to educate their kids. Well, if there's no equity or there's, or, or, or there's negative equity in, 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 in black homes, then where's the money going to come from to educate their children and send them to college? So it does two things, but the biggest thing it does is that it continues to grow an underclass, an underskilled, undereducated class of people who cannot get more gainful employment despite the 400 years of being here, you know, and, and intervals in between. Because, see, my family's been here now, well, over 100 years, right? So, so none of these families can now afford to educate the kids. So you have poor school districts that basically get funded based on the amount of tax revenue being generated there. Then on top of that, you know, the homeowners don't have the capacity to tap any equity in their home because there is no equity. Okay, because their communities are basically being redlined. They don't see, so, yeah, they don't see, they don't see so, the same appreciation right. so now, that a house so, would see in a in a in a in a, in a non in, in, in a normal community. And 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 some of that still goes on now. You could take a similar house and put it in different places and different zip codes, and you'll see uh, uh, an equity difference. So you know you still see that around now. But when we're talking about uh, you know this stuff, so I've been. I've been educating myself all along, getting educated, and then I'll, I'll kind of get into where it first really hit. It's a very, very, interesting, a very interesting point that you hit there, and I don't think people realize how important what you just said is and the real estate effect just on the, just that one thing. It affects the community. The community. Yeah, impact it can have on, on, on that's unbelievable. On the people, it. because if I don't educate you, how can you tell me why am I mad? Or how can you... You oh, know, yeah, so, you've been so, here this whole time. Right. How come you can't change your circumstances and rise up? Listen, I even had some guy tell me about listening to GI Bill. I said, let me tell you something. You know, I, got, I had uncles who fought in World War II, you know, with medals. One of my uncles, quite frankly, was the forerunner of what became the CIA, Special Forces, my father's oldest brother. He could pass for white. He was in, in linguistically gifted. He fluently spoke five languages, obviously Spanish, wow. English, French, German, and Italian, all fluent. He spoke it like a native person would speak it. So he goes in, he's trained in the military to go in and do espionage work. So he, this guy is behind the lines in Germany, in Italy, especially doing these clandestine missions. He's taught all kinds of shit, cracking saves, doing shit in the dark. He comes back home. <laughs> Guess what he is? He's a spick. He can't tap the GI Bill. He's a spick. So what do you think he does? He does what he was fucking trained to do. So he becomes a criminal. Right? And he's robbing. He would, so he would easily, they would hire him to be a maintenance man. So he goes so he's from like, being I a hero. He, he goes from being, being a, a hero. Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor winner. Medal of Honor recipient. He comes home. The best he could do is be, be hired as a maintenance man. So he's like, I got your maintenance man. It becomes bitter. So in the apartment stores, they kept all the jewelry, all the money, and everything else in safes in the department store. And he was robbing them blind. And when they went to, to, throw, to, give him the, to throw the book at him, they were going to give him 50 years. But my grandfather stood up and says, oh, wait a minute. You guys, he's a Medal of Honor winner. You discriminated against him. You labeled him a spick. And... He couldn't take advantage of the GI Bill. 
to go to college or he to get better trained. So he did what you trained him to do. What was his name, brother? Can we say his, his name? I'm named after Miguel Angel Martinez. Metal Miguel Long. Angel Martinez. And so he basically, so my grandfather, because he was born in Cuba, my grandfather said, well, you, you're deporting uh, uh, other criminals from Italy and, and everywhere else, you know, back to where they were born. So deport my son then. So then my son went to Cuba, and Fidel Castro knew of my family because one of my father's, my grandfather's youngest brother was a was a was a law school classmate of him, and he even tried to have him killed. But the point is, he knew who my uncle was, so my uncle went back and he became a linguistics professor, and he did that until he died in Cuba, in Cuba, now communist Cuba, yeah, right? But it was, it was either it was that or fifty. Of, or 50 years in the can, right? I'd so, been in, I would have rather been yeah, in communist people than prison. You, right. So, so, you know, so like, you know, that's an instance. So the point is, is that a lot of, is that black GIs and GIs of color were not coming, getting the GI benefits of the white soldiers that were fighting in World War II. So that means less education, less career advancement, and it's just... So the insidious. It compounds, man. It compounds. It, it compounds. And, and then it's generations upon generations of such it. Such as that. You had 400 years where you guys were treated like the scum of the earth. Literally. Yeah. Okay? And, and, then, and then in this society. And then all know, of a sudden, you, the 60s started, not that you guys were equal in the 60s, but it started this massive push towards getting you on the equal playing field. Maybe the laws and the rules started getting better, but people weren't really following the rules the way they should have been. And, and I get what you're seeing. I, I understand what you're saying. Now, now, let me ask you another question. Now, I got family in law enforcement. You have They're what? Amazing human beings. I, I have family that are police officers. Yeah. I'm in a very, very, very hard situation right now. First and foremost, I, can't, I don't think we could talk about what's going on right now without talking about the fact that I think government's overreaching a lot too, man. Come on. We were locked down for three fucking months for no reason. None. Well, I'm I'm not gonna I, I won't agree with you there and we can get into that discussion. Why you scared about the coronavirus? I have a personal friend who died from it. And I got, and, and I got six family members that died from it. All right. So And I'll tell you how they died, in my and, opinion. Yeah, but but also in studying past it's a pandemic. So I and that's a whole nother show, but but even though I, I don't agree with I hear you, we've been we're and I think the fact that we've been on lockdown because of the pandemic, definitely, it's like you got all this pent up anger, all this pent up energy. Let me let me put it that. I want to restructure because I'm 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 not saying this the correct way. I want to want to rephrase some of this. First of all, what I meant by saying is I got family that's law enforcement. I know them and I know what kind of people they are. Right. There's a lot of cops now. There's a lot of cops of every color and race. Right. Okay. I ain't knocking what happened to George Floyd. I mean, only an asshole, only a dickhead can't tell what happened there is 1 million percent wrong. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to, to, to look at that video. When I first saw it, my blood exploded. I mean, I lost it. But besides that, what have your experiences been like? Not when you were younger, because I'm sure those were, we already know, you had a fucking gun right in your face. Has there ever been a phase in your life where you, I mean, do you trust? The, I mean, like you said, you have family that's not. Well, no, no, do you no, trust? no, no. And, and I'll tell you, even as an adult, Beck, you know, here I am, I'm a former, 
I've always been in sales. I'm a former stockbroker, financial executive. And I remember one time I moved to West New York and then I'm, I'm coming back across the bridge. You know, I'm being told when I lived in Atlanta, I moved right outside of the city of Atlanta in a city called, town called, called Marietta, right outside of Atlanta. You know, I'm being stopped and frisked. So I had a number well, of instances. You, you, you also so when I'm dressed, when stopped, so, so get it, stopped, so get it. So get it. When you were stopped, you were stopped for no reason. You, 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 right, I'm stopped right? for no reason. I'm stopped because I'm black, and here's the deal. And here's the deal. But whenever, whenever I did something wrong, like a classic case in point, I first time I'm taking the Lincoln Tunnel back, back into New York during rush hour, I find myself in the bus-only lane. Now, keep in mind, I'm wearing an $800 suit, a $1,200 cashmere coat. You can look at me and tell that I have a very well-paid position. And the cop comes, and I go, listen, officer, please forgive me. It's my first time coming across the seat of New York Place. I just moved. I explained him what happened. He said, well, listen, be careful. Now you know, stay out of this left lane when you're coming in. And he just let me pass. Now, two weeks after that, which was now Thanksgiving, I'm coming back across the bridge to go to my mother's house for Thanksgiving. I got on jeans, I got on a, a regular jacket, a sweatshirt, you know, and I'm coming across. And as I'm coming across going into the Lincoln Tunnel, you know, it's dark, there are no lights there. And literally the car is idling. The speed limit, I think it's 25 right there, or 20. You can't see it, but my car is idling because it's my first time in the dark finding my way on there. So I'm not driving fast. All of a sudden, lights come on. Okay, I pull over. Yes, officer, what do you need? Driver's license. I give him the credentials. He comes back 10, 15 minutes later and uh, asks me my date of birth. Give him my date of birth. Okay, no, the first one, he comes up on me. I'm on my cell phone calling my mother's house. Basically, I'm going to be late. A cop just stopped me. Get off the phone. I said, no, officer. I'm being stopped. I don't even know why. So I'm on the phone with my family, letting them know exactly where I am. Right? So when I finish, then I'll give you, your, you know, your, your due attention. Phone call, so phone call ends. But that's the first thing in my head. Again, having to learn how to deal with police. Because it's in the dark. It's nighttime. I don't know what's going to pop off. And I mean, I live down south for a while. I have, I have instances down south in North Carolina, you know, where you, you could tell like I was being stalked. It was like, nigga, like, get the fuck out of here. You know, stopping for gas. And one time a car, I put some water in the radiator and the cop just pulls up like, what are you doing? I said, well, I just got gas and I'm putting some water in the radiator because it looks like it's overheating. There's a free hose. You didn't have to pay for the shit. I'm putting water in my antifreeze in Concord, North Carolina, which I found out later is where they had the whatever the 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 North Carolina. There was some NASCAR race there, but it also happened to be an enclave of Ku Klux Klan's people in North mm. Carolina. And I'm in there just getting gas and putting water in my radiator, and I see myself being circled and stalked. So I naturally I get up, I get up out of there, okay. But uh, the point is, is that. So this night, the dude comes back. So, so, so the police officer comes back, and then, he, uh, then he's asking me, like 15 minutes later, he's coming back, and he's asking me my weight. 
And I said, well, you know, you see it on my license, 190 pounds. He says, well, were you ever 145 pounds or something? I said, officer, I am sure that on my way to 190, I had to pass through 145. So now I'm a vice president with Citicorp at the time. So I hand him my business card and I go, listen here, I don't know why you're stopping me, but this is who I am. And my next call is to my attorney. So unless you have some cause to arrest me, which you do not, whatever you're going to ticket me with, ticket, ticket me and let me go. And well, you know, you have the most common last name, he tells me, and that there's that they're looking for a Miguel A. Martinez, who weighs 145 pounds, who, who committed a murder in Manhattan. And I said, really? Like when? Oh, for the last couple of days. I said, well, then tell me why last night when I was coming from Manhattan at 2 a.m. in the morning and I passed a police checkpoint close to on the east side of Central Park, they looked at my license, they looked at my insurance, and I passed like everybody else. So if they were looking, if they didn't have a problem with me and they didn't put me through this, why are you? Well, you know, have a nice night, Mr. Martinez. You know, it's just you have the most common male Spanish name. I said, okay, tell me something I don't know. So, you know, that's... I mean, that makes no sense. I mean, you know, that's like uh, how many white people uh, got the last name Smith, you know? Right. So the point is, is that we grow up, and I've had to train my sons this way and my daughter, that there's a certain way and a certain decorum and the way you have to literally look out for the police, that the police are not your friends, you know, particularly Caucasian police. You know, every once in a while you get a black cop who's a little extra rough too, and there's a different kind of psychology there, you know, because I've been roughed up that way too. Uh, but the point is, is that we have to carry in our psyche that the police are not our friends, that we don't know whether whether we are going to find the handful of good cops, honorable cops, or whether we're going to find one of these guys like Chauvin, okay, who, but for the grace of God, you know, go I, right? Uh, and, and so that's constantly with us. And, and I've been stopped numerous times, um, you know, in my adult life. And the difference was when I'm stopped, dressed in business attire, I'm allowed to go when I'm stopped wearing regular, normal attire, casual. casual attire, you know, I get heat. And that can't be a coincidence. So I have had family in law enforcement as well. And I'm not saying this a cure-all, but what I do believe is that when, like, growing up, I remember in the, in the 60s when the New York, in the late 60s, early 70s, all of a sudden, New York started to have financial problems. So when they started closing up all the recreational centers, I remember in elementary school, right after school, uh, we can go in, we can get tutoring, we could work on academic subjects, English, math. The swimming pool was open. The gym was open. After that, there were gyms open from 7 to 10 o'clock at night. There were all these recreational facilities and all these outlets, you know, for inner city youth to do. Okay, the moment they started shutting them down, where was all that energy going? Energy had nowhere to go. It went into the streets and they got and they got ill. So here I am, 12 years old. I was already an all-American basketball player. I had traveled around the country several places playing basketball. I was one of the best of the best in my age. But now the streets are calling. 
the streets are calling, you know, and, you know, and, and I succumbed to the call. So here I am, you know, selling contraband, doing things, and even out of anger, you know, I was robbing, you know, uh, and, and so, but fortunately for me, uh, number one, my older brother, who was a gangster, wouldn't allow guys to give me any heroin to sell. And he pretty much, and all the guys, so I'm going around trying to, to step up in the game, and they're like, if you don't get off the block, man, like, we're going to kick your ass. And we're going to kick your ass to where your brother notices that your ass got kicked. Right? So now, so that's he put the He put the word out, right? He put, he the, put word the word out. out. And then even when I tried to go around him, like I said, other guys would take me and say, yo, you see this little cat right here? Anybody better serve him anything or you're going to answer to me. And those, those guys saved me. On top of that, you know, I was starting to go to funerals, man. You know, guys that I was growing up with, all of a sudden they're getting in the game and boom, they're out. They're getting killed, you know, by each other in the game. I mean, you, you, know, grew, up, you grew up in a very volatile time in New York history. I grew up I mean, in a grew very, up, very volatile time. There was the gangs. There were there gangs. There was the Jerry Curls. There was the, the black no, gangs, even, the white I'm, gangs. I'm, I'm, the, yeah, right. I'm, I'm before the Jerry Curls. Yeah, and it, we knew that even still. Like, if you didn't know anybody, like, if I went into a predominantly Irish neighborhood, I better be with an Irish dude. But then there were certain black communities. There were certain neighborhoods because of the ganging up. Like, there were girls that I would say, listen, we could date, but I got to drop you off at the train station. I got to put you in the cab because unless your brother runs the block, I can't go in your block. It's just reality. Okay. And I'm not going to be stupid about it. I'm not a chump. I mean, I was brave enough to tell guys I'm not ganging up with you. Now, because I didn't never believe, number one, you know, my goal is to, is, to, is, to, is to get out of the projects. You know, my goal is to build a life. I don't own this. You know, we're, we're renters in public housing. Now, if I'm here and something pops off, naturally, I have to get with it. But I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go gear up and go to some fucking party because some guys felt your girl's ass. You know, I look out for my girl, you look out for your girl. That's one thing, if I'm there and a guy feels her ass, I know she's your girl, you know, I got something to say. But I'm not making that my battle. And so, you know, I just had to hold myself there. And then, fortunately for me, when I was in the ninth grade, one of my friends came to me, Hezekiah, my brother, God bless his soul, who got killed uh, as well um, and didn't have to get killed. He was doing crime, but he did not have to get killed. So a, gun, a cop shot him point blank in his head, and all he was doing was putting his car, moving it from drive to park. And in and putting it in park, the car moved just slightly as, you know, the transmission is shifting. And he shoots my brother, my closest lifelong friend, point blank in his brain. So again, that's more anger that I'm now carrying. I walked around with a death wish, and I'm in college at the time. I'm walking around with a death wish in Washington, D.C., like just daring somebody to mess with me because I was that angry. So where's these outlets going? You know, so, so, uh, I, I, so anyway, so with what I feel is that the police, to a large degree, are being victimized as well 
because going back to my point, my point was is that they pulled out those things that are able to build, that take that energy and direct it in positive ways. They took away the, 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 the infrastructure for human development, okay, in inner city neighborhoods. And then when they did that, the crime goes up. Then, they, then what they do is they load us up with a heavier police force that is instructed, that is instructed to hold the line at all costs while not preparing them, in my opinion, psychologically preparing them, you know, um, to deal with diverse communities, to, to psychologically prepare them to get a feel for what's really happening on the ground, psychologically prepare them to diffuse, you know what I mean? And to show some communal respect so that you become a friend in the community, you know what I mean? As opposed to, to and some steps have been taken, you're starting to see cops walking a beat, at least in New York City. In the 70s, you weren't seeing anybody walking a beat. Cops were always in cars, they just rolled up on you, period. Uh, and so we're starting to see some progress, but when you see these guys, uh, you see, I think, ill-equipped. Again, they've taken away this infrastructure, and then they've supplemented it or supplanted it with more police presence, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's not a good recipe. And Let me ask you this, because obviously the wounds are deep. It's from the past that resurfaced. That's why when anything like this happens, and I'm not saying it wasn't racially charged, but how do we know that Siobhan was killing him, for example, because he was white, I mean black, you know what I mean? Like, how do we really know in his mind that he was, I'm not saying the abuses don't happen. I'm not saying that the cops haven't done what you've said in the past. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate for a moment. How do we know that, that this particular one, I'm not talking about all the other ones. The, the well, one because, well, well, because we have a lot of people are taking a lot of video of white officers accosting white men. And the fact and is, is that, and they're and I given, agree. I agree with what wait, you're and they're treated with much more respect because I've even seen one where they were, well, a white guy turned around and took the club and started beating the officer. A gun didn't come out. They didn't shoot this guy. So the, the, the point is, is that, the point is, is that, how do I put it? You don't know, but the actions say a lot. This man, first and foremost, was dehumanized. So we don't know where in his psyche did he feel that he could treat a man of color this way. When you, when you listen to the guy that was in the car with him, he was, yeah. he was basically, this guy was cooperating every which way. You're bringing me to the wall. You're making me sit down. You're making me get up. All because I used what turned out to be a counterfeit $20 bill in the store. On uh, Three times in my, in my adult life, I had counterfeit bills come out of Citibank and Chase ATMs. I agree. I worked in a bank. Out of bank's ATMs. I and agree. the bank was like, well, you're out of luck. We can't take it back. You know? And I'm like, well, you know, like, like look. Well, how do we that's know fucking, that, it yeah, was, that's crazy. That, that it was this $20? So the point is I had to eat the $20 all three times. But I wasn't arrested. I was pissed I had to eat it, you know? So it's like, okay, so, I, you know, I, I, I got a $20 bill, okay? I didn't know. It was, it was like, I'm not a bum. I'm driving a nice car. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm being respectful to you. Yes, officer, I'm, I'm in compliance, 
So now you just want to come out, rip me out of the car. So right then I'm already feeling violated. You could feel the energy, man, when it's happening to you. You could feel the aggressive energy. But let you me ask just you this. Feel it. I've had a few instances where I mean nothing like what's happened in your community. But I got a weird fucking name. I might be right. white, but when they're looking at my fucking license, there's no white name. You get my point right. in their minds. Right. Right. Like, what the fuck? And you know, as someone that would be classified as Caucasian, I don't hear people. You know, whenever there's no one of color around, I don't hear them talking. Like, I haven't noticed it as far as the general public goes as much. You know, people make jokes here and there. Comedians make, which is sad because it was kind of funny. Comedians used to make fun of each other, make fun of different races and shit. Those days, are look like they're long gone in, in comedy, right? But the, the wounds are so deep. My question is, do you think that there's a real danger in this country. I mean, what I don't understand is, what do you think happens next? What do you think the next move is? I mean, there's so much chaos going on right now. Not well, even because of the virus. I, I mean, uh, not even because of Floyd's death. I think it compounded with the virus on top of that. Well, I, I think, listen, I threw my back out. I injured my back. And it wasn't what I did that day that did the damage. It was that move that day, when I lifted up to help that woman, was the straw that, that, broke that the basically broke the camel's back, no pun intended, right? So what George Floyd's issue was, he was the straw that tipped the scale. But just recently, behind the guy, uh, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, and, uh, and, 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 and the sister in... Uh, in um, and uh, I forgot where she was living, the, 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 uh, the emergency medical technician where they just bashed into her apartment, okay? So, but this is repeated. So what I'd like to see happen is, again, the protesting of the 60s did, excuse me, move the needle forward. But there's still issues why, what I'd like to see happen is, that the protests and the beautiful, most beautiful thing I see about it, uh, don't get me wrong, there were always white people, Caucasians in this country, who stood next to racial injustice, always. And I want to acknowledge it. Going back to Ben they Franklin. They marched, yeah, they marched with Martin Luther King and, and they and marched with Malcolm X. I'm talking Ben Franklin and the abolitionists, the abolitionist movement. I mean, like, since the founding of this country, you know, there have been white people who are just against slavery, you know, and just didn't do it. Now, I think for most people, you see, most people, if you think about it, America, we're an overworked society. So you working, your wife's working, whatever, you're busting your butt you know, just trying to get ahead in society, right? And so therefore, you're not thinking about my problems because you're not getting racially profiled when you drive up. You believe that the police officers are there. So in your mind, as long as I'm not breaking the law, the police are not going to bother me. They have no reason to stop me, right? So as long as I don't you give them a reason, a reason to stop me, get it. I'm not going to get stopped or be questioned unless I give them a reason. Now, in the case of people in color, we know that we are repeatedly stopped for no other reason 
than the color of our skin. The richest black man in America, Robert Frederick Smith, who owns one of the top hedge funds in the world, quite frankly, was the best performing hedge fund in the world for, for 10 years running. He's the, pres he's the chairman of Carnegie Hall. His main home is in Colorado. You know, this guy drives what he wants to drive. You know, and he's Why do he want to fly? Listen, he's got an interracial kid, right? He's black. His wife is white. And, he's, and he wrote about an Instagram along like four times over the past couple of years. He's being pulled over for no other reason. He's not speeding. He's not going to speed with his daughter in the car. He's taking her to school. He has casual clothes, but he's driving his Ferrari or his Lamborghini or whatever he feels like driving. And so as a result, he's getting pulled over for no other reason than who's this black dude driving this car? What's he about? Let me stop him. Maybe there's probable cause. You understand what I'm saying? So we operate, you know, with this thing on our back, never knowing when we're going to be stopped just because. And it's happened to us so much that when they look at a guy, going back to your point about Chauvin, you know, what else are we going to come to? You're going to dehumanize this guy. If this guy gave you every reason to just handle him humanely, you're going to give him a ticket. You want to find out where did he get this bill? Yeah, you could question him. But after that, what did he do? Like, what, what did he actually and then, do? And then, and then to touch on this incident, You know, is he running a I didn't appreciate. Ring? I didn't appreciate. And, you know, I've liked some of the stuff that, you know, maybe you heard of Candace Owens. Her, her video went viral. Okay, where she basically attacked the character of George Floyd. Me, whatever he did does not play a role and does not impact. And, she, and, and, and to me, you know, she mentions it. You know, he was this, he was arrested. Well, that has nothing to do with the price of tea in China. Right. The guy was already handcuffed. He was murdered. He was detained already. Forget about what he did. That, that cop is not the judge executioner, you know, jury. Judge, jury, execution. That's number one. Okay? Because if we don't stand up for someone like George Floyd's rights, what about my kids one day? Right. And, and, and it goes... Be, right. And it so goes I didn't beyond, like... I didn't sorry. like... What, and I'm sorry to... You know, no, no. Go ahead, please. I didn't like how she started that with... You know, even though she's trying to claim that, you know, it doesn't matter and he shouldn't represent us, I don't think... And I, and I think I understand it correctly, that it's not about who he was before the murder. He was murdered. It's about that. It happened to all these other people. It's happened collectively. And it's happened for a long fucking time in this country. That he was an explosion point. He was an exploding point. Again. See, and, and, The and last see, time we saw anything like this was really with Rodney King that I can think of. On this level. Yeah, and right. And, and, and that was horrible. Listen, and what I'm trying to get at, what I'm trying to get at is that the police are put in a bad situation because they're being ordered to police a broken system, period. I got Absolutely. into some of the institutional things against the education systems, against the financing of homes, right? Against keeping the, the, the economic base of the community down both from a physical standpoint, a financial standpoint, a human resources standpoint. So all these failures, you know, of society, now they're, 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 they're supplanting it, you know, with, 
you know, with you, uh, you you're know, hitting with, it right on policing. the head. You are hitting and, it right on the head. Can I say something and, to you? My yeah. opinion: the police are the low-hanging fruit in the in the real battle that needs to be done. In my opinion, yeah, and real not and only real, for the not only for the black community, but I look at the black community as the ones that have the power and the strength if they can unite together. And I think they're getting there. So well, not, only, back, not, only, well, not only fight for what they need to fight for, but they will show the rest of the minorities and the people that have been oppressed, not only in this country, in the world. Listen, it's happening worldwide. Listen, I just got something from a black person and it's on an important Instagram struggle. in Finland. And she told me how racist it is in Finland. She actually has a woman dehumanizing her as an African woman. Even in China, I'm getting Instagram feeds where they're trying to blame the coronavirus on Africans. They're, they're absconding. I mean, can we hit China for a second? Yo, where, yeah, are whole... we, where, where are we as a people? There's a million people in a concentration camp. Nobody doing shit about it. Nobody protesting. I didn't this know is, about that. Yeah, there's one million. This is confirmed. This is not new news. It's been there for a minute now. Okay? So what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to take away from the black moment this is a black moment in american history period but i've always looked up to that struggle because my people went through a very similar struggle also in albania we had an apartheid country we were under yugoslavia it's a do if you look at pictures of albania and that was white on white okay but we were different different ethnicities different creeds right right okay where one group was the serbians they had the power the guns the military and we were the albanians and we, had a, we were in an apartheid state. We had no jobs, no education. A dictator came in. We lost it all overnight. It was racial tension for a long time. It led to a fucking war. I mean, I lost 30 people. So I know what it means to lose family from blind hatred. I lost 30 right. people. In 1999, they were put up against the wall and executed. So what I say is, when, when people like me, who are not black, study civil rights history, study what happened to the, to the African-American and their struggle and the Afro-Latino. And there's a lot of different ethnicities that fall within the black color, right? What they've been through, what they went through, their ancestors, they even know, like you don't even know where you came from, right? You don't even know what country in Africa, some of them. Right. So what, what I'm saying is people don't leave like, yeah, we might like, okay, I'm not racist. I know none of my white friends are racist, for example. So what's the big deal? Why is it so bad? And I didn't own slaves. And Albanians did not have slaves, nor were we colonizers. So, you know, then you have these people that are kind of caught in the middle. And it's like, okay, I'm white. I have no ties to fucking slavery. None. Zero. Right. My people didn't oppress black people. My people never colonized, never had a fucking ship. The first Albanian problem only came 100 years ago. Slavery was already gone by then. The first documented Albanian, I think, came in like... 1890 or some shit that we know, for example. So I'll use myself as an example. So we feel like we're sometimes we're in the fucking crosshairs of this shit that had nothing to do with us. And we're torn because, okay, I got family that's cops. I got best friends that are black. And this shit is just so depressing and miserable for all of us that are caught in the fucking crosshairs. And yes, we support the cause. But I also know that there's some great police officers out there. But I do agree. If this shit goes on and you're a cop and you don't say nothing about it and you don't fucking stop it, yeah, but then you're but just his, as guilty as the guy that pulled the trigger. Yeah, and it's not just a cop. So, like what I was alluding to before is but that I think the problems at the higher levels. Well, it's it's at the higher, and this is where it's permeated. So 
So you got they you want know, the average. Well, listen, the well, well, listen. Well, but you got the average court. But it, it gets deeper than that because it's you get the average Caucasian guy, like I told you about. He's just trying to build his family, do his thing, and he doesn't have any. You know, say he's he's not prejudiced, but he's not aware of it because it's not coming to him. He's not being racially profiled. He's not looking, going, wow, I don't understand it because the police don't treat me that way. And so you can, it's kind of like with Drew Brees, finally, when he issued his apology, it was after he was made to understand why Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And a lot of white guys didn't get it. A lot of guys that are on the surface and say, you're not racist, but see, they got caught up in the rhetoric, you disrespecting the flag. So let's deal with what the flag represents. It's supposed to represent freedom and liberty. This country was born on a fucking revolution, on, on refusing to accept a monarchy's order to be up under British rule and not allow the people in this continent to rule themselves. So that's what it was founded under. So when he took a knee protesting against exactly what took guys to the street, he was taking the knee because... He wanted, as a high-profile person, he wanted to bring attention to the racial profiling and the killing of, 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 of people of color Unarmed. by unjust cops. It wasn't being addressed. So now Drew Brees, after understanding, he, first he was like, I can't respect anybody that's disrespecting the flag. Then after he opened himself up to hear the other side, Drew Brees said, ah, I see I got it wrong. I understand. It's because it never, of that it flag. Never, it never, it's because me, it of never that flag. Me. But right, what but here's I will the deal. tell you. But it's because of that flag that that we are allowed to take a knee. It is because of that flag Fact. that we it's can not, that we can protest. It's a non. It's a it's a peaceful protest. It's a form of 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 protest that he's getting on a knee. You know, me, and it's not disrespecting to me. To me, desecrating the flag would be to burn it, to to pee on it. God forbid. When I saw him kneeling, I was like, first of all, kneeling is a very hum is a very humble position. Right? When you're putting one knee down, it's like you're almost praying in a way. You know what I mean? So to me, I never found it offensive. I would have found it offensive if he burned the fucking flag or peed on the flag or stepped on the flag or shit on the flag. I never found that form of protest offensive. I never understood right. what the fuck the big deal was. And you he never heard him, right. And you never heard him say, fuck the flag. Fuck America. No, he never, never said fuck the flag. Fuck America. And I'll be one of I'm so fucking happy he's on the Jets, yo. <laughs> oh, we is? got him on the Jets. I think, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken, he got signed to the Jets. Oh, shit. That's phenomenal. So, okay. so and I'm going to so, take you to the first I'm going to take you to the first fucking game. <laughs> I'm serious. Because my boys do it like you won't believe. Okay. Got you. And we're going to go. But, yeah, getting back to what you're saying, I agree with it. I mean, now people are looking at the fucking riots. So here's my thing. Now, let me ask you this. I want your honest opinion. I want no bullshit here, yeah. Mr. Smith. But before I do that, can I just address and answer ahead, something that you ahead, asked me earlier in terms of like your, right, like, your, like, like your white friends are not racist, so you're kind of like caught in the middle. Yeah, and like, see, what the fuck? And, right, but see, and that's where education comes in, like with Drew Brees. It's when the beautiful thing about now is you see so many white people out there. The younger generation, they don't want to deal with this shit, man. I mean, it's like, if you start to look, man, starting from the 80s, man, white kids and black kids started to style their hair the same way. They were wearing the same jeans. They started to listen to the same music, dance the same way. You know what I mean? So the, so, so the melting 
of America, you know, was taking place. And most of them don't want to deal with that shit. Like, they're tired of it already. And so the fact is, is that, but, but, but you, only, you can only overcome ignorance, you know, with enlightenment and education. So it's beautiful that we see so many people of all complexions out here protesting. So the key for those people stuck in the, in the middle, before you just, when you, the second question after, I don't understand, or oh, oh, why the fuck is this, to go in and take some real time, like get out of the Fox bubble or what have you, and really like read, like look at our nation's history, read some authors from African-American history, and, and just understand how long and how deep this is going. And, and then when you understand that and you could see that there is a difference from every level and how we, you know, are treated and have been treated, uh, then you will see where this frustration, you know, comes from. And listen, man, it's like there isn't a war, you know, and just stop and think about it for a minute. If you've been here, your ancestors have been here since the since the, before this nation was even founded. Shit, the first person who got killed in the Revolutionary War was an African-American man, Christmas Addicts. Okay, so you can't say that black people haven't been fighting for the rights of America from the very beginning. But even after that, you know, we were, uh, even freedmen were actually caught before the, below the Mason-Dixon line, you know, and, 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 and enslaved. So slavery was part of the fabric. Okay, we get it. But the point is, you've been here, your ancestors have been here, have fought in every war, revolutionary war, civil war, Spanish-American war, every war we've bled alongside for the same liberty, and we have not gotten that liberty. And so other immigrants have come, because this is a melting pot, and others have come and fought in every war too, right? And so you come, and you wonder why you don't understand. Well, because you do be, and, 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 and listen, white people have gone through to the Irish, the Italians. I mean, yeah, that's my, that's you know, my, that's my other question I want to get to. But yeah, what, what about and, and all so, them? They say, Hey, we went through hell. We yeah, had a every, rough fucking time. Every, every, everybody. We goes, seem to have gotten past it. Why, why can't they get past it? What's your response well, to that? Because they're not riding around while, while black or of color. So you're just not getting stopped. It's like, it's, it's, it's a statistical fact. Men of color are four times more likely to be stopped by Random. the police, just randomly. So as a result, and the other thing is, we're more apt to be fucking sent to jail, put in a fucking jail cell, you know, for bullshit. Again, when I'm in, I'm in, I'm, I'm living in Marietta, Georgia. I got a fever out the fucking wazoo, even to the point where I felt dangerous. So I put myself in a car. I was so half delirious that I didn't even realize that my car had an, exp that the car that was in my garage, I had just brought it over from another state. The, the tag had just expired. So I get stopped by a cop. I tell him what I'm going through. And I said, please, I'm on my way to my doctor's. Can I please go in and get some Tylenol and some orange juice? You know, if you're going to give me a ticket, give me a ticket. Now, what that officer was supposed to do was he was supposed to have my car impounded, either offer to take me to the station or give me the opportunity to call and get another ride. Instead, he puts me through all kind of shit. You know, put your hands on your steering wheel. 
and I happen to be a licensed gun owner, you know, and would you have firearms? I say, yes, I have two firearms. I'm a licensed, I'm licensed to carry concealed weapons. Where are they? He finds an old cell phone that I was keeping as a relic. Remember the first bag phones? Yeah. I even remember the fucking phone number. He's like, oh, these are hot items. I said, what do you mean hot items? That's my first phone. I got to prove to him that it's my phone. Then he handcuffs me, goes in my pocket, and finds about $350 in my pocket, which was close to about Christmas time, uh, maybe 400 whatever. He said, that's a lot of cash to carry around. I said, well, not if you're gainfully employed. I that's out nothing my in New York card. City. It's fucking nothing. I, I know. I was in Atlanta. I said, listen, I'm a stockbroker for the third largest financial uh, 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 firm in the world. And it's holiday time. And after the doctors, I got to go buy golf equipment for my junior golfers, my inner city junior golfers that, 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 that go play a tournament in Miami. Right? But why do I have to go through all this shit? He denied me even getting fucking Tylenol, fucking orange juice. He fucking denied me a, a phone. What he did was he locked me up. He took me to the fucking precinct. He threw me in a fucking cage. So right? he put you in jail for this shit. And he put me in a cage. I'm in there. I fell out because of the fever. I wake up. No, and first when they were trying to do it, I says, you are not going to book me. I will not submit to being fingerprinted. I need, I need to call my lawyer. I was denied the right to call my lawyer. I'm thrown in this cell. Finally, I wake up. I see a black police officer come. And I, start, I get up and start banging on the door. Please, 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 please let me talk to you. And then he opens the door. He opens, the, you know, the door and says, you know, what happened? And I explained to him what happened. So he said, come out and sit out here. Then another white cop's going to come try to grab me. I said, I'm, you're not booking me. The black, who was the sergeant, who outranked him, said he sits right here. When he calls the police officer, he calls him back in. So he asked him to run down the questions. Well, was he violent with you? No. Was he disrespectful with you? No. Did he have drugs on him? Was it, do, did, did he break the law? No. So he said, so why is he here? The man is visibly sick. Did you have his car impounded? Yes. Well, the only thing you were supposed to do was impound his car, either as a courtesy, let him come here to call to get a pickup, or, or not. Let him call for a ride. Yeah. So why is he here? So my point is, is that they do this. So now once we get in the system, and we're booked and we're fingerprinted, guess what? Cops always, if they're, the cops can pull us over for probable cause, and because we're in the system, they have a reason to take us to the precinct. So th this is what's playing out, you know, with people of color. And so uh, my Caucasian brethren, y'all need to understand that this is what's playing out. And then if you go back and look at our history and understand Number one, going back to when they ended slavery, the name of the game has been, you know what, let's make them, you've been here longer than them, so we're going to elevate you to be above them. So now we're not going to piss on you. We're going to give you an umbrella, but we're going to let you piss on them without umbrellas. And it keeps going on to where now they're blaming a lot of shit on, on, on Latinos coming up from South America. You know, there are criminal elements that came from everywhere whenever there was immigration. But the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of immigrants that come to this country are hardworking, law-abiding. And for no other uh, practical reason, that shit, like, they know they could be out of here.
They don't even know the rules. It's like they, they, they don't even know how shit operates yet, other than laying low trying to get a job and survive, right? So, Fact. Fact. so this thing has been going on for over and over and over. Let me ask so you now, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so now you grow up. You grew up, and I know you, you were born, but a kid grows up, and maybe his grandfather was the immigrant, but their, their knowledge base and their schools didn't teach them. You're all, yeah, as a topical issue, they, they, America used to have slavery, and most blacks were brought here in slavery, and then the Emancipation Proclamation happened, and they still believed that the Civil War was fought to end slavery, and it wasn't, okay? But the point is, is that they're miseducated. And so, you know what it is too? I think people see that, okay, there was a black president, you got people like Jay-Z, almost a billionaire, you know, they got it good now, they're sports stars, they're movie stars, you know, so they, remember, they're seeing a ton of black celebrities all the time. So yeah, in their but, minds, in their minds, they're looking at like, well, the playing field's like, like equal, like you wouldn't have seen Jay-Z a hundred years ago. You wouldn't okay. have seen him. Okay, but I'm saying subconsciously. I'm not. I'm not saying yeah. that's why it justifies. I'm saying subconsciously. You got to understand something. Well, actually, in the in, in the entertainment business, we always did. It's just that money wise, you didn't see a guy as smart as Jay Z. But Jay Z is came on the shoulders of a lot of guys who sold millions and millions of records for the and last. You got to remember something. African Americans are the only group of people that created authentic American music. It's called jazz. All right? the other music, Bluegrass jazz, and jazz, rhythm and blues, gospel, soul, you know, R&B was called, now hip hop. So we, we created the only American art forms, the Puerto Ricans, Latinos, with salsa. So all of that, so everything else before, you know, it, 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 it came from Europe. So... So the point is, is that, is that I hear what you're saying, and I get it. That's true. I, I, I don't doubt it. But Jay-Z's a high-profile individual. Okay, so Michael Jordan's father was riding in the car. The point, and he was killed by young blacks, unfortunately. But the point is, is that if you're not high-profile and very recognizable, you're still subject. If I'm a multi, I don't care how big my business gets. If I, build my, if I build my business out to be a half a billion dollars or I build a billion dollar company, which is what my goal is, anywhere along that line, I'm not Jay-Z. I'm not fucking Michael Jordan, right? I'm not any of these high profile people, you know, in the fucking news that everybody's seeing. I'm a businessman. I'm a regular guy. I'm a family guy who's building a life. And guess what? Even though I'd be getting ahead financially or economically, it's still, I'm overcoming a lot of shit. And even in terms of businesses, okay, but look at where they're making it. In entertainment and sports, you can't deny the talent. It's right there in your face, man. You can't deny the talent. It's like when they finally, you know, and Jackie Robinson wasn't the best African-American player. He just had the right temperament the right education, and, and he felt that he, and the and balls to go he, had, he had the balls to go for it, and he was talented enough that he could go You're in to Major me. League. Okay. Hang on. Yeah, what about now? You're frozen up on me. Okay. Uh, you're better. There you go. You're back. You're back. Okay, I don't know the last thing you hear, but he was talented enough to also come into the Major Leagues 
Every, but I think the most important thing was the brace, was to be brace to do it. Well, yeah, and, and to be an impact player. There were better players in the Negro Leagues, you know, by other Negro players and baseball historians, okay? So, but the point is, is that outside, you can't deny that talent when you see it. But now, let's go back to the drug game, right? Criminal activity. If all you leave me, if you put deep into my psyche that if I'm too successful commercially, that if I try to build a business, remember I have images, I have images of them burning down uh, uh, you know, the, city, the city in all Oklahoma, Black Wall Street. I've seen black businessmen and black businesses that when they get supposedly too successful, that we've seen the system in any way come up. We've seen black people victimized, you know, because, hey, guess what? You black, man. And at the end of the day, even if I bring war and violence upon you, I could do that because my white privilege allows me to do it. So now you got us in the fucking jungle and you got all these business minds, got all these young guys that have enterprising fucking mindsets, but they can't go out there in the larger society and do it. Where are they going to do it? They're going to do it in their communities. Now, if you cut off the ability of these guys to get real legitimate money, to open up stores and open up businesses inside of that community, you know, then, and what do you do? So you leave vice in that community. The fuck you think is going to happen to the guys that have a business mindset? And people forget JG's first business was a drug business. He always had a great and, business mind. And Biggie. But he, yeah, but, but Biggie, Let me wasn't ask you the this. Biggie Let was me just ask you an this. artist. He wasn't the businessman, you know, that, no, you know, that that, well, we don't know what Biggie would have done. He was only 24. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I said he wasn't like because he died too young, clearly. Yeah. yeah he I think he would have been bigger than all of them, bro. But let me ask you this. On this issue of the riots, bro, the Louis, this is, I think, where most people that want to support this cause, where they got caught on the crossfire the most. People go, you know, you can't, you can replace people, but you, 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 you can't replace people, but you can replace property. But that's not true. Because the property, and I was an insurance agent, it's not covered on the riots. It's yeah, not covered. That, yo, that's crazy. And it and, takes, and that affects every race. There's black affects, people that lost their businesses, job. Like you don't know whose business was black or not. Right. So I don't understand. And I, I honestly think that it was, first of all, let's be real. And I'm, I'm going to make this clear to my viewers. I don't give a fuck about Democrats or Republicans. I had enough. I'm a libertarian. Everybody should have their rights. Leave me the fuck alone. I'll leave you the fuck alone. Let's get this money. You live your life. I live my life. Just leave me the fuck alone. And I'll leave you the fuck alone. And the government should leave all of us the fuck alone. They shouldn't be in our business. They shouldn't be telling me I got to stay in my house for fucking three months because of some boogeyman virus. And I lost family, brother. Okay. We gave you, you asked for two weeks, three fucking months. My family's business is closed in the middle of summer. They only have the summer season. Who's going to help them, man? So I don't want to go off on that tangent. But I got a lot of fucking issues with New York and New Jersey and California. Yeah, and even now, that shit is disproportionately uh, uh, affecting communities of color. Hey, bro, I mean, if you don't... You exactly. Know, I, you know I'm why? Because there's I'm a higher population in, of I'm them in the cities. And I'm involved in three small business groups in this area. And do you know we've been predominantly left out of getting that money? 
It didn't even get to us. And then the major banks are servicing their clients first, not us. And then they have, there are the community development investment organizations have, that go by various different names. You would think that they would have sent a ton of money or, or, or enough money to them so that they can now turn around and make real loans to their constituency. So where these guys might, you know, to where we might be able to get a fucking $5,000 loan. I got this shit as a joke the other day, you know, Harlem Entrepreneur, uh, you know, 125th Street, along with the Apollo, that they're giving away 20 $1,000 grants. Wow. thousand fucking dollars, bro? To a guy that's got a business, I can't buy inventory. I can't so buy inventory on one item. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? New York is pretty much fucked right now, in my opinion. I think we're heading into. I don't. I don't know. I don't think a civil war. I hope not. I, don't, I never thought a civil war would happen in our country. But I think there'll be a civil war not based on race. I think it'll be based on I'm a fucking liberal and I'm a conservative. The lines have never been more drawn ever. Oh yes, they have. Yes, they have. It's just that well, the first you, 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 you're too young. You're too young, you know, to... to you've seen anything or, or you like this? I mean, long. you've seen anything that this reminds you of? I mean, if someone's younger than you, you got, you got some age on them. I mean, yeah, a lot of people, 60s. I'm hearing them saying, I've never seen anything like this. This is fucking crazy. Yeah, the 1960s. I'm not talking about... I'm not just talking about the racial problem right now. I'm talking about the virus and then this coming right on the back of that. The 1960s, bro. Listen, man, they were bar you started look, look at what happened the last couple of years. Church bombings, synagogue bombings. That was happening in the 60s and the 50s and 60s. Church bombings, synagogue bombings, right? Now, they're not outright hanging black people and Jews, but they were doing that shit in certain parts of the country. They were doing that shit down south, you know, in the 50s and 60s, and even way before that, all that time. You know, so they were doing it. So now in the 60s, you're starting to see the bombings. You're starting to see when protesters were marching peacefully. You look at John Lewis, who still speaks with that list because he was knocked upside the head so much. Peacefully protesting. So what did they do with peaceful protesters? And Trump puts out, starts using the words of Bull Connor. Yeah, we don't care about police brutality. So they just hoses and letting German shepherds loose. And dogs and Doberman pinches biting while they're beating on peaceful protesters, you know, where counters couldn't get segregated. You know what I mean? And, 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 and so the point is, it's like, this is uh, uh, what would happen. There's not Jim Crow. Okay, you can't stop me from sitting in a restaurant and eating, right? But, but by the same shit, the polarization is still here. You had a conservative movement. Nixon came in. I'm the law and order guy. And it was, it was a rampage. And then you had the hippie movement there, which they called the hippie movement. But these were young white guys at the time going, yo, fuck all this shit. We're even in a war we're like, 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 we're, that we shouldn't even be in. You know what I mean? So all this shit was going on at the same time. And so the last period like this, you know, was the 60s. So have we made progress? We've made progress on certain fronts, but the progress is only made with a struggle. And so I believe that the struggle needs to keep up, but now we need to keep the focus and put the focus on it from an institutional level to where we understand now and that society and the leaders of this country fully open up, first recognize that, hey, 
We underfunded here. We kind of created this mess. We created this underclass of people that now don't have social mobility because if I worked in a factory or I did a certain job and now life is automated away from that, I haven't been retrained. So now I'm, I'm going to join a permanent And you're also dependent on the system just to survive for food, that's, food stamps. That's right. That's fucking right. your rent. Like you literally, literally, in my opinion, you're a fucking slave. Right. And now you look at you all are. these college grads. You look at all the college. Listen, man, even the opioid epidemic, it didn't, be, it didn't become a thing until Big Pharma got in it. And then, and then the white kids started getting strung out in crazy numbers. And they were coming home robbing from their parents and all that shit, all strung out, getting locked up. Now they're fucking dealing with it going, yo, what the fuck? Now it becomes a fucking national issue. But when we were dying from this shit, they had your little methadone clinics, and that was that. You couldn't, that shit couldn't get covered under health insurance. It was nothing, because we were the ones dying. Now that society is dying in general, it's an issue. Now all these white kids are coming out. Saddled with fucking. I've debt. lost. I've lost. I've lost friends. I've lost. And no, and listen, and no jobs. So now you've got this young community. Millennials are the first generation across the board that are that is estimated that they will have a life a lifestyle lower than the baby boomers than their parents. I'm one of them. Thank you, you fucks. You older fucks. Yeah, fuck. No, <laughs> no, we ain't fuck you. But but the whole point is why? I'm not why? Because, you directly, right? You know what I mean? No, but you know what I mean. But society, yeah, because the deal is, is you're coming out, you're saddled with all this fucking debt. So how can you afford to fucking live? We're you know, fucked. like you, you know, it's like brother, the inflation that we're seeing compared to what you guys paid. Come on, man, for a fucking just across the George Washington Bridge. It's crazy. It was a and dollar a, when I was a baby. It's fucking sixteen dollars. They're probably gonna make that shit twenty after everything that just happened. Right, and they talk about going up again. So, Mr. And, cool, Mr. Cool, and, and look at the infrastructure still. So and look how cool, fucked up because we went off fucking. We went, we went longer. Yeah. Do you think? So you've, I mean, you, I mean, you grew up in an era that was very volatile. There was no denying that it was fucking crazy, and heroin was big in the seventies too. Yeah. My question to you is, and then the crack ever came. You saw that, but do you think that America can recover from this? Yeah, and America, here's the deal. America has to recover from it or America will implode from within. I, I believe it, it could be like a cancer. If we don't fix this issue, we're fucked. Well, it is a cancer and we have to pick it out. So I believe that most Americans want to be in America, that they want their children to grow up here, that they want a prosperous America. And, and because of that, um, you know, I, I believe that we will pull through. The difference being this time is that the, the, the ways that people were able to be placated before and kind of bring down, it's going to change because we've seen those areas where we were placated and then we saw that there was still a ton of people like left out like you could kill opportunity uh in a lot of different ways and it started you know from childhood you know in the neighborhood as i got into before and then you and then exacerbated by that which which increases the crime rate we're killing each other i just lost you know i was just saying 
you know, I just lost this young guy, I know, and maybe he shouldn't have wanted to get high from recreational drugs, but shit, that's what he went to do, and they had so much poison in that fucking, in, in the cocaine that... Fentanyl. He, he, yeah, and he, 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 he died from it. You know, Can I ask you a question now? There's one and, last thing and, I want to bring and, up. And that's a plague that's hitting, uh, you know, our community uh, way more yeah, even than... than, than uh, On both than sides of it, from using right. to, to, to dealing. But here's my thing with you. What about, like, how Candace Owens said, like, you know, we kill each other more and how come we're not fucking... I mean, that, that's one, I, gotta, I, I like to be very critical here. I agree with the movement. I understand there's corruption and every there's corruption in every fucking job on earth, especially police. Right. Yeah. Okay. They can be, you know, and again, one of my co-hosts is a cop, retired 75 years. He was from your fucking time. 70, he said he's fucking great. Right. Right. But I also have a lot of family and friends that are fucking amazing. I know Dominican cop. I know black cops. So to sit here and say that all cops are bad, I think we can both agree that not all of them are fucking bad. No. And mo no, most of them are not bad. Most of them most are good. Right, Mo and then what happens to a lot of good But we cops, want accountability. We want accountability for these fucking rotten ones. Yeah, but then, like, like you take this classic case of George Floyd. You had th three rookie cops. One of them Sit was there. on his third shift in life. He's fucked. Now, with this guy, he's sitting there going, he knows inside, yo, something's fucking wrong here. But this fucking guy's in training. He doesn't know enough. Now, granted, I believe that you, you see wrong you just got to start. Hey, listen. Yeah, and those side you know, people should like, do something. So I, I know I will. I, I'm not participating I I in this shit. I'm not participating. When we get back to the station, I'm perfectly willing to defend myself. But here's the whole point. The whole point is, is that you have well-meaning guys that are on the job, learning, well-meaning guys, and they're placed in situations or not trained properly like a fucking frat house. The older cops are older than them. Like they feel intimidated. What the fuck am I supposed to do? C certain, you know, and and, and so, and so it's training, it's training, and 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 training is going to take on, you know, a number of topics. But the but the police system has to be retrained. I believe there has to be some continuity. Just like like there's so quote unquote federal crimes, right? So the federal crimes was to put a level of of criminality. Because back in the day, when they, would bank, when they were robbing banks during the Great Depression and all that, I could rob a bank and kill a guy in Minnesota, and I could go to North Dakota. As long as I don't come back in Minnesota, I'm good to go, right? So guys are running around the fucking country robbing fucking banks, the Bonnie and Clyde era, right? And as long as they kept going state to state until finally the fucking FBI, like, okay, now they're fucking criminal crimes. If you do this and go across the state, it's the same fucking crime. You do this, go across the state, it's the same crime. What about, so, what do you feel about the so black, I believe, black crime, though? But what do you feel about black, like Chicago, for example? People, 85 people, 50 people dying a, a day I sometimes. It. There. I hate it. I never understood it. Do you it. think that it's I not hypocritical that they... Black, brown do you think it's, on crime? But I have a question, though. You don't think that it is somewhat hypocritical that, for example, Black Lives Matter doesn't march to say that all... I mean, if, if Black Lives Matter... And that's where a lot of them are dying. And I understand that there's problems that, you know, and I agree with you, problems at the top that create places like Chicago, like that fucking loser mayor. That guy was a fucking loser, in my opinion. Okay? Because if you're going to be in power that long and your murder rate's that high, obviously you need to change your fucking tactic. Something's not working, right? I mean, something's not working, right? 
My well, question to you is, first of all, is it not somewhat hypocritical that even when the police don't kill a black person, and not all the cops were white, by the way, so I don't like how this particular incident is white on black. I mean, even though the guy that held the knee on him, he was white, so technically it is black and white, but the other cops weren't, but they were rookies. I mean, there's a lot of different fucking factors that went into it. Again, I'm not taking away from the death, but when you have someone like Candace Owens, who's very prominent now, she's... Her fucking video went, like, super viral. But I told you already how I don't agree with... You don't fucking go after the character. Two wrongs don't make a right. Period. He could, he could have murdered 100 fucking people and went to jail. And when he got out, he served his time to fucking... He served his time? Okay, good. Was he on the street legally? Yes, okay. That has nothing to do with why he's fucking dead. Period. So I, 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 do, I do disagree with those statements she made. However... I do somewhat agree with, if we're going to do the right thing, there needs to be change within the community too. One of my favorite verses in the Holy Quran is, God says in the Quran, and I'm pretty sure the similar passages in the Bible, that I will not change the condition of the people until they change themselves. God himself says, I will not help you until you help yourself first. So my question is, and I think a lot of people want to ask this question is, Okay, yeah, well, let's protest, let's march, let's change, let's reform the police. How's that going to fix what's going on in Chicago, for example, where that's where the most people... Like, what do we do to fix that, basically? Okay, so... And, and, and I, is it not hypocritical that they don't march there? Your uh, honest opinion. Well, to the second question... I think it's a fair it's question. Not, no, it's not hypocritical, and so I'll deal with it this way. First and foremost, black-on-black uh, -black crime is still the progeny of systemic racism. Remember I said it's systemic. So if I underfund my schools, undereducate these schools, if I take away the retraining, if I take away the, the things that build human resource within a community, right, and people's lives elevate, crime rate goes the fuck down. And those the areas are depressed. And we're the only Wait, people and, living and, there. And, and we're just going to be killing each other. Well, yeah. well, still, and still, just like a lot of the news coverage with the protesters, you're showing the guys that are throwing bricks through the windows, but that's the super small minority. The criminal element in all black communities are very, very small. The problem is that you have, you have places, for example, you take the New York City Housing Authority, right? When, when my parents moved in, right, well, my parents had to move in because their blocks were torn down to build public housing units. But even still, they still had, you had to have a job. You had to have a certain credit standing. Like, you, you didn't get in there if you were on fucking welfare. And so now, in the 80s, with the crack problem, and we, and we developed a serious homelessness problem, they threw all those people in fucking public housing. So now you have a big enclave of people and there's no counterbalancing. Mm -hmm. You have a big enclave of people that... With different issues. But, right, but all stemming from the same shit, right? So there's uh, victims of uh, whatever, drug use, uh, uh, unemployment, low employment <laughs> skills. You know, these people are all downtrodden. They're talking the same thing. So what you as, a, as opposed to being in a community to where sure you have you have families 
that are maybe at the poverty level, but you also have families that are above the poverty level as well, and middle-class families, and as they interact in that neighborhood, me, the poor guy, which you get to look and go, oh, everybody's not like this. You know, this guy's father has this kind of job, and this guy's father has that kind of job. You understand? And so, you know, and then there were resources reaching out. Like I tell you, what saved my life was Columbia University's Upper Bound Program. And a gentleman by the name of Larry Days, who was director at the time and who's a deacon at the church I go to, Abyssinia Baptist Church, it, it was a program for smart kids at at-risk schools. But he went in and he said, yeah, but they are smart at-risk kids because they're falling into criminal behavior, but they're intelligent kids in this environment. So I'm going to pull them out and change their environment. And I was in that crew. So you're a product of that? You're a product of that? So I went went from having my pockets and bags full of drugs to going up to that campus. And in a week's time, I knew I couldn't do both. So I went and wholesaled off what I had. And I started focusing. Why? And you changed your life. My own room. Three meals a day. Access to the gym. Bowling alley. Library. So explain this program. Explain this program. I had black and Latino college professors and, and Ivy League students who looked like me and my family instilling pride in me, showing me the value of an education, how to move ahead, put, instilling the discipline, making me proud to be this way. You understand? So I remember by the end of that first summer, and I was still playing ball. I was still a, a serious baller. I remember one Sunday, I didn't have a game. And like... So I would play my game, do my laundry at home, and, and we had to be back. And we left campus Friday evening. We had to come back Sunday evening. So by Friday at 1 o'clock, I had nothing to do. I remember sitting in my neighborhood going, fuck am I going to do here? And I remember walking up to campus and opening up a book and sitting there for five and a half hours until they opened the dorm for us because Wait. I started to feel more safer I realized that that was a more wholesome environment than being in my neighborhood where shit was was popping off practically every night. So basically, if I'm hearing this correctly, this program changed the course of your life. Changed the course of my life. So what people need to understand, and now I want to summarize the whole thing what I just heard. Again, I'm asking questions as devil advocate, not to attack uh, the Black Lives uh, Movement. I'm just, this is something that Candace Owens said. So I want people to respond and I'm going to have a, have a lot more guests coming on about these topics, by the way. So you're one of the first. But, um, and I agree with you. And I'm going to tell you why I agree with you. If the problem is up here, by the time we get down to the bottom levels, which is why I think all the energy is focused on the cops. And that's why I said they're the low-hanging fruit. I've written on my Facebook, I wish they would focus this energy and this rage on the banksters, on the politicians at the top that fucking allow this shit to go on. Yeah. And the way they fund programs and defund programs. We got millions and billions of dollars to blow up countries, which, by the way, I did vote for Barack Obama the first time. I did not vote the second time at all. I'm ashamed to say I did not vote the second time. One way or the it's other. okay. And they the reason for really that, like the... uh, yeah, he did. But the reason why was I said, look how many people died because of Syria and Iraq. I was very against those wars. Right. I got ISIS. ISIS got weapons because of his administration, period. Right. I don't care how you spin that and twist that shit. 
So a lot of innocent people in the Middle East are dead because of George Bush first. Okay, first. Let, let's put it there on him. Right. That's why I told you I ain't a fucking Republican or a Democrat. I'm an American libertarian. I also think gun reform laws are the most racist laws in our country. Period. New York City, where it has a higher think rate of black Americans and Hispanics and all these cities in L.A., why the fuck you think their gun laws are so strict? They don't want you guys having guns. That's the truth. I don't care what anybody says. Ask any NRA expert, they'll tell you. So I think African Americans, Latinos, should be aware that the Second Amendment, in my opinion, is a very important amendment. It's what protects the first. And it's what's keep harmony and safety in this country, period. Because your roots and my roots come from communist countries. My family, that's the reason I was born in this country. Yeah. My, two reasons. One was because of racism. Well, actually, my roots second. don't come from communist countries. Uh, it became Cuba after. It became Cuba after. became communist yeah, after my family. Left. I knew you were going to, but you get my point. Yeah. You understood yeah, what yeah, happened yeah, to your but, people after. Yeah, but right. But still, when you still in, in, but even before then, it is still, Turned into, but it was racist. But it was an racist, an autocracy. Like yeah. So yeah, and it was racist before communism. Maybe communism made it more equal racially. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. But in any event, I've always said to those that, and I'm not against, you know, I'm, for people that believe in a higher power, for those that believe in Abrahamic faiths, we all believe we came from Adam and Eve. For those people that follow those religions. Right. How the fuck can you call yourself a Jew, a Christian, or a Muslim, regardless of what your skin color is, regardless of what your national creed is? Because there's also something called ethnocentrism, right? So ethnocentrism right. means I'm not necessarily racist. I don't want my kid marrying anyone outside of my ethnic group, period. It doesn't matter if they're Italian, right. uh, white, I, I, and, and I'm going to be honest, Albanians for yeah, a very long right. time Korean, are very ethnocentric. I mean if, if an Albanian girl would marry outside of the Albanian culture, it's a, it was a big issue. They would be looked down upon it. it Listen, and it and, didn't and, matter who she married. It didn't matter. Right. I'm, being, I'm being honest. Yeah. No, right. I was, it, a, nas it's, it's I was a nationalist. I was a nationalist with my people. I grew up during a time where there was a war. I lost a lot of fucking family. And I also had similar mentalities of, well, we should But then as I read a lot in life, I became more spiritual. And you take these steps back and you go, nah, nah, nah. God made all fucking people. God made everybody. And if I'm going to sit here and pick one race or one creed or one nationality over another people, then I'm saying I'm smarter than God, the one that gave me life. You understand? Let me ask you something. Can we pause for one bro moment? Yeah. I, 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 and you tell me if I can or not. I want to light up a cigar. No? Of course you can. But we're going to wrap it up soon because I got family okay. going crazy. All right, all right, cool, yeah. Of course so, you can lie All right, so, 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 but again, so what, to answer that question, if you stop and think about it, it's kind of like when people say, you know, how can, how, can, how can these guys claim Islam and they're blowing up mosques of another Islamic sect? But, it, but so my point is that because people are looking at the fucking weeds and they're not looking in the dirt. You fix the weeds from the fucking dirt. You know, you, you know, you know shit by, by its root. When you see what's coming out, you see the fucking roots that are there. So you want to handle it? Systemically, you handle it at its fucking root. But, no, but, but guys don't want to take responsibility. It's like, it's, like, it's like people don't want to touch it 
Politicians don't want to fucking touch it until it smacks them dead in their face. You know, until no somebody, till somebody's in front of your fucking house, going yo, 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 and you can't get out your fucking house. And 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 I kind of uh, uh, equated my honest opinion, just kind of growing up in the street, right? I kind of equated to a guy that's, you know, that's pushing you and doing all this shit. I mean, like like trying to push agenda, right? But when you confront him face to face, you square off on the dude in the bathroom, you catch him by himself, and now he's like, abba, 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 abba. Ain't nobody around now, dude. It's me and you. All you talking shit. So now we're here to come get you. Now what? Oh, I'm the fuck out of here. I'm running. Oh, God forbid. Please send a message. Tell him I'm sorry. You know what I mean? All of that kind of punk shit. So the, the, the point is where people want to deal with black-on-black crime, understand, again, that it's systemic. It's not hypocritical because most people of color are not criminal. There's a small element that, 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 are, that are in that element, a small element. The overwhelming in every majority. People. In every people. And in our of community, course. and in our community, you, you, you understand, it's there. But, but, but society has created enclaves of poor people of color and they without the resources necessary to help build their human resources. So they, stay, so they stay downtrodden. They stay downtrodden. And who, listen, man, if you and I are at the same level and we keep talking to each other, we're never going to elevate because we're only talking to each other. Now, if you same. and I, now, if you and I are on the same level, but we're also interacting with people that are more knowledgeable, have more wisdom than we do, are, are, are more successful from an economic standpoint or what have you, and we are interacting with them, then when you and I get together, our conversation will begin to mutually elevate, elevate based on the interactions that we're getting. But if I'm in a little fucking cave... And they'll never leave there either. And, 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 and part of it is, well, if I leave this fucking cave, like, look at me. Am I going to be profiled? Lost you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I lost you, you there. No it's like, you know, am I going to be profiled? Whatever, whatever. I'm uncomfortable leaving this. I've become comfortable in this cage. But the point is, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? I'm going to go on Madison Avenue for what? I don't have Madison Avenue money. I don't work at Madison Avenue. Right? So I'm going to keep my ass. So because of the enclaves, which, 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 which creates a lot of crime, based on the misery and everything else, people are looking at, oh, yeah, there's black-on-black crimes, but statistically, most people commit crimes against people who look like themselves. Why? Because, you, you know, it's fucking assimilates. Why? It's not today no more. White guys are not coming in the black community firing people up, and we're not going in the white communities firing people up. Why? Because we fucking stick out. So I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to start blasting? Or you going to come into my community and start blasting? Nah. Because everybody's going to see your ass. The yeah, yo, white motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yo, it's a Caucasian guy who's around here. And then when they have the cameras roll, they're going to see the lone Caucasian guy. And then camera after camera after camera after camera. And next thing you know, they got your ass tracked. You know? Can I ask you one thing? And I want to close it with this. So I get it. I think we think, I think I'm very, I'm very similar to the way you're thinking, man. I, I like the way you explain things. 
Let me ask you this, and we're done. Do you believe in a, in a group of people, people call them the Illuminati, people call them the Cabal, do you believe there's a group of people out there that don't give a fuck about race? Like they, they use us to, like, they might, they could use stuff like this to their advantage. What's your true take? And I know it's, it's, it's like, listen, some people don't like to talk about this shit because all of a sudden you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, you're fucking crazy. What is your point blank? Do you believe in an right. agenda? Do you believe that there's powers behind the scenes that make all the... Some of well, these wars don't make no fucking sense, bro. Well, listen, well, I'm now, now I'm pulling, you know, on my faith. Uh, you know, and where it says that, you know, Bible says that that the battle is not, you know, against flesh and blood, but it's about principalities and rulers, you know, of the dark places. And so, so do I believe that there is uh, a force and that darkness is part of it? Absolutely. You know, principalities and powers. And so if you're a spiritual person, you know that there's that that everything in the spiritual world is not light. You know, everything in the spiritual world, you know, is is uh, you know the, the blessings from the creator. But guess what? As we are created, there are other you know spiritual beings that that created. So as a that's where I got to rely on my faith because I don't have a human answer for it, but I've been able to see this yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. So I've been I've been able to see it play out. So that's where I, you know, rely, you know, on my faith. And so to answer your question, I guess that would be a yes, because spiritually I believe it's so. I, now I didn't get into the different groups. I've heard different group names and Illuminati. I've tried to look, and you get into it. But the fact is, is that it still falls under the same stem, and that is, and that is, you know, rulers. Uh, in this society, and 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 now, we don't even know powerful, their names behind closed doors. Playing right, wicked, us. wicked, powerful forces that are about them, and quite frankly, it's the few uh, for the masses. Didn't you see? I mean, there was some fishy things going on with the protests. You know, piles of bricks being left in places that supposedly had no construction. I mean, like I said, the majority of the protests were peaceful and they were justified. But there seemed to be, like, you see the white kid giving them fucking cocktail bombs. and It was this very, very fishy shit. Going oh, on. listen, they found that. I was listening to a guy who, who was, uh, uh, he worked for the FBI, his career with the FBI. And they were told, they've known it. They, they've known, and we've had other people confirm, and I've seen them on TV, that, 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 that white supremacy groups also come in and infiltrate during this time as, quote, unquote, white people in solidarity raising a ruckus. Trying to make people hate black people for destroying the cities, basically. Right. And also, and also to get the government to stop the peaceful protests by making or, it violent. Or, or to turn them into violent where they, the government even may be fucking... Yeah. We have what happens in the fucking 60s again, which was a disaster. That's right. That's right. You know, which... Now, you know, which, I, I also yeah. think that and I saw a lot of videos circling of like black people that were walking through the streets are like, uh-uh, like they point to the bricks, they go, uh-uh, we ain't falling for this shit. Like, like, like I, I'm starting to notice that people are waking the fuck up, man. Well, like you people know are waking up and they're starting to see that there's a lot, there's a lot more at play here than just reforming the police department, bro. Right. There's well, a lot on the line right now. Well, there is. I don't know if you're familiar with the 
uh, comedian Paul Mooney. He actually was Richard Pryor's. Pre- you know, and he brought up something interesting. I, I saw him on Twitter or something uh, the other day, and he said, listen, he said, if the cops in L.A. had just each one, he said there were more protesters than stores. There were more cops than stores, storefronts. So he said, if each cop stood in front of a storefront and opened up the roadway to let the protesters go through, you know, just think about how that would have impacted, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the prevention of damage to property. Right? Well, I I'm feel a, that the I'm mayors and the governors and I'm like, wanted that to happen. I'm like, that's an interesting point, right? That's an interesting point. Like, let them march through, and all of you guys stand in front of a store. So they're going to look at the store, and they're going to see a cop. They're going to be like, oh, shit, right? They're going to keep it moving, more than likely. You're going to have the occasional Yeah, but I felt asshole. like they didn't want to. I, I hear you. Especially in New York. Especially in New York City, I feel like they just said, here, fuck it, burn it. Like, burn it. To the, like, they didn't give a fuck. And, and, it, and it's sad because that does, you know, hurt us all. Uh, and especially when guys, I, I think burning any communities, I mean, here's the deal. I, I guess if you bomb my community, you know, you've opened up, you've given me the right I hate you. to respond and to come back and bomb yours. But for me, Not to just that, around, but here's the thing, though. If you're living there and let's say God forbid. Bomb my, own, bomb my own community. That's what I'm saying. That shit, and that's the crazy. And there was a lot of a lot of a lot of people that came out publicly and spoke. And like a lot of these people weren't even from fucking New York, man. I'm telling yeah, you. Be, yeah, but 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 that's because back if you stop and think about it, we're trying to make logic out of emotion. Yes. No, out of emotion. You know, there's an emotional quotient too. Men tend to look at things logically. I think a lot of times with men and women. Not sure, women, sure. We women, fight sometimes. We say things we don't mean. No, we well, the that, fuck out. Nah, but that, but, I know. that, but also emotionally, people have fucking reactions, and sometimes people are acting out of extreme. Not, I'm not talking about the the fucking assholes that were going there and 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 and, and doing shit deliberately to hide behind it. But let's say those. The point is, it also brought out the worst. I'm not saying all of those guys were infiltrated. Yeah, but it also gave cover to all the guys that the only way they felt that they can express them. Like, they're just like, fuck the system. Like, I don't have shit. So fuck my neighborhood. Fuck, fuck the system. Protesting. I mean, fuck protesting peacefully. Let's just go like, out there and do it. They're just like, fuck everything. So this is an emotional fucking response that you can't apply logic to other than to say that the question should be, how do these people get so fucking inflamed, get this way you know, to where they're throwing everything to the wind and going, fuck everything, fuck everybody, that's it. You know, that's the real question to answer. And the only way I can answer is to look at it and go, and that's what I pegged to generational anger. Last question. Do you think there'll be a civil war in this country? Uh, I'm, not saying pr- I'm not saying necessarily racially either. Just period. Just any type of okay. civil conflict that comes to an armed conflict between Americans killing each other, whether it's black versus white, whether it's Republican versus liber- uh, conservatives. I mean, do you see that happen? Do you think it can uh, happen? Well, anything is possible, but I believe that we will not get to that point 
because the whole purpose here is that the purpose of the Constitution, unfortunately, but let me just put it this way. The whole purpose here is that the Civil War happen, happens or these wars happen in the minds of people. It's a war of ideas, you know, and then people will, in an act of self-governance, you know, make this a better union. So I'm still hopeful. And I'll tell you something. Uh, the moment I get to the point where I feel that America is lost, just like my forefathers just a few generations ago came here, and I'm convinced that this is a piece of shit, then I'm the fuck out. You know, I'm the fuck out. You know, like, that's that. If you're not you'd rather leave, me, you'd rather You'd rather leave than kill. Yeah, I'd rather leave than kill or be killed. I, and be killed from the standpoint of, of yeah, of being, being oppressed. Of being oppressed to the level well, where, there's where some society people who... makes it makes it very clear that they actually do not give a fuck. Well, you know, now I think there's other battles behind the scenes, not just race. Like people don't want to be vaccinated. People don't want chips in their fucking hands. There's a lot of shit that can be looked as oppression, regardless of race. And I don't want people as a whole, like we said, all the good people of all the races that live in this country to lose track. Unfortunately, that's still most people. I I, I believe that. Listen, man, I know you do. I was like the lone black guy you know, working in, in most of my industries, most of my professional career. And I'm going to tell you, did I meet white assholes? Absolutely. But predominantly, you know, I was around decent people, man. You know, they was just trying to get ahead like I was getting ahead. They didn't fully understand my plight. But every once in a while, like, we go hang out or something, and then they were comfortable enough like you to start asking me these questions that they've just been afraid to ask. And they know they're not going to get them from their father or their uncle, you know, unless their father's a history professor or some shit like that, you know what I mean? So they're going to get them from me. And we were able to have real, real dialogue. I've had white mentors, man, who love me, man, invested in me, were behind me 100% because they wanted to see me win. And they all raised me to make sure that I'm a beacon in my community, that I'm not only making it and moving forward for me, but I'm making it moving forward for them because our people need examples that despite everything else, that we need people that can go back and show people this is how we overcome these obstacles. You know, this is who we are. This is how we overcome these obstacles. You look just like me. So if I could fucking do it, you can do it. And there are people that did it even better than me that look like us. And you can, despite all this fucking noise, you can make that shit happen for yourself. Roadmap. You know, oh, Barack Obama was fucking president. You got fucking black billionaires now in the game now. Now it's not, yeah, you know, now, it's not like, now, it's not a, now it's not some wild fantasy when you tell a black kid you can right. be the president of America. But, but also because that's happening, this is where you have that racist rhetoric come up where people that have been brought up with this sense of white privilege, they're looking, shit, black people doing better than me. Fuck them. No, it's not these people who are African-American are doing better than you because maybe, you know, they're better equipped. They have skills and education, which you chose not to fucking get. 
for whatever reason. You know, you wanted to drink beer and watch fucking sports all weekend, and this and guy was fuck fucking going. To, and this yeah. guy was going to night school. You know, this guy was learning how to fucking code. This guy was learning fucking IT work. You know what I mean? This guy was working on his fucking master's degree, or this guy was working on his on his degree, and he didn't believe the bullshit that believed that he would be here from cradle to grave. That once you went to work at General Motors at thirty, your ass was out at sixty five with a fat pension. Like life is fucking happening. And the business leaders of this country are really at fault because unlike in the Industrial Revolution, John Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie and them, when they created the Mechanics Institute, they were creating schools so that they can continue to train and retrain workers to keep growing in, in the Industrial Revolution. And now we're in a service economy, right, transitioning over from a manufacturing and industrial base and we have failed to do the job of doing that to our own workforce. So now you have a disproportionate amount of whites as well as black people that are now functionally dysfunctional from a, from a, from a, from a career standpoint, from a skill standpoint. And so anybody that reaches out and goes, hey, we're going to give you this and we're going to do that. And we're going to make the economy better for you. Any rational thinking person would have known that there was no fucking way that the Trump administration was going to be able to bring back coal. Because if you just think about it, it's the least economic method of generating fucking energy. Now, there's still a place for it, but it, is, it's, it can't grow in an environment where you have fossil fuels, uh, uh, natural gas, solar energy, and all this other shit coming up, which just drops it you know, to the barrel. So rather than talk that bullshit to these people, you know, look at the solar industry. So all these people are displaced. Energy, there's going to be more people on the planet. So energy needs are going to continue to grow. So, so, so let's put something in place to where we can now re-employ or retrain these people, right, to now still be in the energy field, but be in the energy field for now with new technology where it's growing. None of that shit's happened. The employees have just been left to just fucking Rot. die. We've had whole towns, Flint, Michigan, all these other towns that have just rotted because of all these jobs that are never going to be here anymore, and nobody's fucking talking about that. Mr. Smooth, I think yeah. we, gave, we gave the audience a pretty good picture yeah. into these, these issues. Your story in a nutshell, you were born into a racist world. You've seen it progress and get a lot better than it was, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Bottom line. You could have went down the wrong path in life. A program, right, a school program, changed the course of your life, yeah. which is and, why those programs are, are important. And your yeah, brother, being that's a bigger right. brother, and, and, right. and keeping and you other out criminals, of trouble. And other criminals scare me straight. You saw a need for you, yourself first, and your community and people of your ethnic composition for products cosmetically that were not harmful and you designed a brand called That Smooth. The three O's, baby. And you're evolving <laughs> and you're in Whole Foods, which is no small accomplishment. Whole Foods, MAC. Now, are you in Whole Foods across the country or just certain areas? No, we're in Whole Foods just in New York City. Macy's, we're on their national website. We're there. Uh, and and you're expanding. Our, listen, and, and our website, man, that's smooth.com. And right now, because of the pandemic, like, 
listen, people now have gotten more comfortable with ordering online. And now they know the product comes, it comes intact. If there's a problem, you can send it back and get it replaced. You can get money refunded. So, like, save yourself a trip if need be. And, like, like there's no amount of information that you can get in the store that you can't get online. Quite frankly, you can get more information online because the business itself is going to interact with you much more personally because we have a vested interest, you know, in the success of our products versus not taking it away from a salesperson who's there working at a department store, but they're not tied to any particular brand or product. So your website, so, yeah, huh? You got you 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 done well. You turned your life in a positive fashion. You are the definition of why, no matter how hard life can be, you can always make a comeback. You can always make a comeback. You got it, baby. Thanks so much, man. God brother, bless you, brother. God blessings. Stay safe and, and healthy. Ho hopefully, uh, you'll see me soon. I'll be heading back home. God willing, get in the studio. And uh, this, you know, will be presented in a nice way. We'll put some nice pictures on your internet and all your information so people can order your products. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate your feedback. Your story is actually fascinating. I didn't realize you had all those different... I mean, everyone has so many different people that were in their life. I mean, to have a Medal of Honor winner and all this other stuff, I just found it to be fascinating. Man, three-time Kentucky Derby winner, man. My cousin... And what was that Cordero, person's name again? What was that name His again? name is Angel Cordero Jr. And he's in the Racing Hall of Fame, the, the Black Racing Hall of Fame. Tell us your story won, real quick. He won, the, he won the Kentucky Derby three times. He came within one, one race of winning the Triple Crown. And he was black. And yeah. Angel Cordero Jr. from Santuce, Puerto Rico. And when he broke in, they, in a lot of his prime years, he couldn't race here because of the color of his skin. And when they told another Puerto Rican friend of his, um, uh, uh, you're the greatest Puerto Rican jockey, he said, no, the best Puerto Rican jockey you know, his name was Eddie Belmont. He said, the best Puerto Rican jockey, y'all won't let him ride here because of the color of his skin. His name is Angel Cordero Jr. So he came and stayed in Harlem with his sister, and then he kept going, breaking in, breaking in, and he would get into fights. They would jump him. They would do everything, but he refused to quit. He knew he could ride. He was super-duper talented, and when he retired, he retired as a result of several injuries, but he was the second-winningest jockey all time when he retired. And he, he was doesn't the first, hold that record He was the anymore. first of color to win? No. If you look at the history of thoroughbred racing, they used to use, first it started with black slaves riding. And then they used blacks to actually, the white uh, uh, horse owners would use black jockeys. So initially, the, the birth of thoroughbred racing history, you had black jockeys riding. But now in the modern era, meaning when guys were getting paid for it, okay, my cousin was the became the Jackie Robinson of thoroughbred racing uh, in the modern era. He broke into the pros. And he holds all the records still in New York. Every wow. racetrack in New York, he still owns them. And he's been retired 20 years. Wow. So with that said, very interesting story. Uh, very positive spin on life. And God willing, our country comes through this stronger. Uh, the police officers, the regular citizens, and hopefully we all focus our energy on the people at the top that should be doing the right fucking thing. And I think we can all agree that none of them are. You know, we got to do it right. So listen, brother, God bless you, man. Thank you so much, and I appreciate Thank you. your time. And I'm going to go smoke a cigar now, so should you. I am, brother. See you later, man. Have Ciao. a good day, man. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.